welcome to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my fiancé to watch the musicals he really should have seen by now, and then we talk about them. I am the fiancé. And I'm Drew, your banjo-playing host. Are there banjos in this? There sure are. There's a banjo. <laughs> Do you know what's really funny is it feels like within most of the shows we cover, especially since we've been engaged, because... Mm. This episode launches. You're going to say there's banjos and everything? No. <laughs> <laughs> this episode launches on a month since we got engaged. Like, it's been that long. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the media we watched, like, weddings seem to be a big part of it, whether subliminally or not. Yeah. Now, I feel like this show culminates in a marriage, or at least has marriage as a subplot. Would you like to explain why you think that? I don't. I, I, okay, we watched all star musicals, mm-hmm. and you can go back to the archive and listen to our thoughts on that. It was launched as our ten thousand episode. It was launched as our ten thousand <laughs> listener milestone. <laughs> can you believe? Could you imagine if we'd have done ten thousand episodes? I'd be really impressed if we'd done ten thousand episodes. Yeah, and it's amazing because because we're, we're creeping up on the twenty thousand milestone, which is mm. a, you know considering. That That's was reached crazy. in March, and we had that episode for All Star Musical. So, Jeez. yeah, and it, it's it's not been long since then. So, thank you, anyone who's listened. People like us. It's but crazy. The song "Crash Bang Wallop," "Flash Bang Wallop," okay, was in, it, and it felt like that was wedding photography. There was a bride in that song, mm-hmm. so. Just, just apropos of nothing, it feels like we watch a lot of wedding content, and and this isn't part of our like wedding film playlist, you it, know? It kind of is and isn't. Yeah. But also, I feel like a sixpence is part of an old wedding tradition. I, I feel like I read it somewhere that there's something to the tradition of you put a sixpence in. Yeah, you read that in Lucy Nisley's book. It's, yes. It's something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, and a sixpence for her shoe. Yes. Yes. And watch this space. We're due to launch the debut episode of It's a Musical Wedding. Yep. Not in the debut episode, but in the second episode, we are going to be doing a book review, something mm-hmm. we've never done before, of Lucy Nisley's book, Something yeah. New. So this feels very much like a wedding show. Now, whether it's act one leads up to the wedding and then act two deals with kind of like what it is to be married or if it is just all marriage i don't know Hmm. that's literally all i know about this one yeah the song was catchy the song was really good there's a great in literally the first little verse is the first line is all lined up in a wedding group standing here for a photograph there we go and then but then there's this little bit that's great which is uh since the early caveman in his fur took a trip to gretna green there's always been a photographer to record the happy scene which is why they're Taking picture. Yeah. Which is great. I don't know when that song is within the context of the show. I feel like it's later on. It feels like a very jubilant song, which great, it's a wedding song. Yeah. But it feels very jubilant. So maybe it is towards the end. Mm-hmm. So uh I know this is an older one. Yep. I believe started as a film first. Nope. Okay. <laughs> so the original well. So, to actually talk about this, we have to go back to 1905. Awesome. Yep. When H.G. Wells wrote a novel called Kipps. Right. And the main character is called Arthur Kipps. Yes. Which I find really distracting. 
because that's the protagonist in Woman in Black. That's probably a reference then. Because the book is called Kips, the story of a simple soul. And it's supposed to be sympathetic humour. We're laughing at him, but we feel sorry for him. Is this set? When is this set? The one we're going to watch? Yeah. Because this can't be a sequel or a prequel. Even like there's no continuity that would work, I'm sure, to make this a prequel to Woman in Black. I'm just having a moment where I realise I have no idea when this is set. <laughs> is it one that's timeless? No. Okay. Turn of the 20th century. So that's early 1900s. Uh, whereas the Woman in Black is the Edwardian era. Mm. So is that pre or post? I don't know. Hang on, let me sing the whole Horrible Histories King song. No, um, it sets early 20th century. So yeah. perhaps things won't end up very well for this Arthur Gibbs in his sequel, The Woman in Black. No. Is he also a clerk? No, he's not. Okay. So he doesn't work for a law firm? No, he cool. doesn't. Different Arthur Gibbs. Certainly Kips. doesn't. We're in a completely different class. Is it English? Yes. Cool. So it feels very seaside Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just because the backdrop that was used for all star musicals was like on a pier. Yeah. I could imagine it's like in Brighton. Mm-hmm. So H.G. Wells, as he has done many a time, wrote a book. Yes, in 1905. Then in 1963, Beverly Cross adapted the book into his book for the stage musical which became half a sixpence rather than Kips. Cool. Because it's a relevant plot point Okay, that appears. And then in 1967, it was adapted from stage to screen. So the book for the play was written in 63 and the play musical debuted in 63? It it opened in 63. So the book was written a couple of years before Okay, So not long. It's one of those, I guess it's different by modern standards where... You probably have to wait far longer for the film version. Yeah, to come no, out. this had quite a quick turnaround because it opened in London at the Cambridge Theatre in March of 1963. And then in 1965, jumped over to Broadway where it did pretty well. Yeah. At which point uh, Tommy Steele was cast. You know who Tommy Steele is? No. Ah, so that's going to be fun for us to talk about in a minute. But on Broadway, it did pretty well. People liked it. Then there was the film adaption in 67. Then in 2008, we got a UK tour. And then in 2016, a revised West End revival. Fantastic. I'm a big fan of the Cambridge Theatre on a side note. Mm. It's um, it's definitely one of my, my favourite theatres I've been to. Yeah. It's, it's very nice. It's currently hosting Matilda. Mm. Well, so Half Sixpence, the 2016 version actually opened in Chichester to the backdrop of where the seaside sort of feel is set. And then it moved to the Noel Coward Theatre in London and it got extended three times. Wow. Yeah, which is great. It ran until 2017 when it closed. It's always fun when a show is extended. Mm hmm. You know, it's obviously very difficult to extend a show when you know what's due next. Like, I'm very disappointed that Be More Chill wasn't extended. Yeah. Because that show is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And I want more people to see it. However, 
I'm glad that Anne Juliet is back. Yeah. Something that I certainly want to see. Same. But it would have been really nice if, like, Shaftesbury had nothing lined up and you just see the announcements like, hey, Female Chill has been extended for another month. Because mm-hmm. they deserved that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's cool, though, that, that you know, the, the revival of this did so well. Mm-hmm. Um, if it came out in 63, that's pre-Tony's. No, the Tony Awards started in 47. So by this point, it was... An established thing. Yeah, an established... And obviously the Tonys don't cover the West End shows. No. But um, when it came to Broadway, it would have been eligible. Did it fare well? So in 1965, at the Tony Awards, it was nominated for Best Musical, Producer, Leading Actor, Featured Actor, Featured Actress, Author, Score, Direction and Choreography. Cool. And it won nothing. And would you say that is seen as a controversy or would you say that is a, a fair thing? I don't think this translates very well, personally, to an American audience. Okay. I'm sure there are a lot of people in our American listeners and who are big fans of musicals who would disagree with me and say that this is great and it translates really well because it's more of that sort of human culture kind of thing where... It's just very human. Cool, but I like that. You look at these characters and you're like, yeah, that's a person I know. However, from a British perspective, I think when I look at these characters and think, yeah, that's somebody I know, it's because I know a lot of British people who act in the way that these characters do, who are part of the social classes that these characters are, and who basically this, this hasn't changed that much if you look at the core of who these characters are. Cool. However, the year that this came out, do you want to know what was kind of the sweepstake musical? Absolutely. Fiddler on the Roof. Nothing else stood a chance. It was Fiddler on the Roof, Golden Boy, Half a Sixpence and Oh What a Lovely War. I know Oh What a Lovely War and mm-hmm. I know Fiddler on the Roof. I have not seen Fiddler on the Roof, but I know that it is a very well-respected and well-loved musical. And I'd have actually been able to guess. If you told me that list, I'd have said Fiddler on the Roof won. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, though, because Fiddler on the Roof had ten nominations, right? Yeah. And Half a Sixpence had had nine, and it won nothing, which always feels to me like a conspiracy because I don't understand how you can be nominated for so much. But then again, if you look at the Oscars... And any other awards for that matter. But you look at the Oscars and sometimes you do just have a film that that sweeps everything. Yeah. And and to the point that you might have 10 nominations for Return of the King. I think mm. it won 11 in the end. But, but then whatever else it's up against also has that many nominations, but just doesn't because Return of the King. Return of the King's a special case because I think that was celebrating the Lord of the Rings trilogy as opposed to just that one film. But it made sense to wait until the end. Yeah. But... You know what else was up for nominations this same year? As half a sixpence. Yeah. Well, Baker Street, the Sherlock Holmes musical. That one that got burnt and is, is no, no longer... No, different there. one. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. How did it fare in, in terms of UK awards? Was there anything it got with the revival or was there anything it got well, uh, in its original run? Not for the original run, but for its 2016 revival, it won 
Best Actor in a Musical for Charlie Stemp, who currently is in Mary Poppins playing Bert. Nice. Fantastic casting. Uh, Best Supporting Actor for Ian Bartholomew and Best Supporting Actress for Emma Williams, all of whom are phenomenal actors. Yeah. And then Best Choreography. It was nominated in basically every category for the What's On Stage Awards. And then for the Olivier Awards, it was nominated for Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor and Best Actress and didn't win. Okay. Cool. Sadly. However, we move on to the film. Yes, so the film comes out quite soon after. Yep. Is there a big bidding war for it like we've seen with other movie musicals of the time? Or is it kind of like commissioned quietly, made quietly and done? Well, so director Charles H. Sheener went to see the musical and he loved it. However, he is best known for being a stop motion animator. Cool. But he's worked on a whole bunch of things like It Came From Beneath the Sea, Earth Versus the Flying Saucers, Hellcats of the Navy, all these like, <laughs> I don't know how to explain this nicely, really stupid B-movies that I love yeah, because they're great, but things that fall into a weird sort of subcategory of film. But also the 1981 Clash of the Titans. Nice. So he saw this musical and he thought, this is fantastic. This should be a film. So he bought the rights to the film, to the stage musical. Yeah. The film rights to it and sold them to Paramount Pictures with the caveat that he had sort of input rights. Yes. And in November of 1965, Paramount bought the screen rights from him from $250,000 plus percentage of the profits cool which is fair enough and they then hired tommy Steele to repeat his role from the stage performance awesome that's cool and 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 it's not like he's aged out of it it's not like it's been too long Mm -hmm. so other than tommy Steele, are there anyone else that reprised roles or was it like completely cast yes afresh so we had grover dale who is also repeating his role for the film i'm not going to tell you who he's playing he's another broadway actor that then got brought on for the movie however they also had michael crawford in the running for the main role wow but the because it was paramount they're working in america already they wanted tommy Steele to come on and work but they also had marty webb who plays the lead female role in the london version do the singing voice of the actress that they brought in to play that character oh. in the film. Yeah. <laughs> Why not just cast them? Was the person that they cast a notable name? Um, It's Julia Foster. I can't say I recognise the name. She's in Dad's Army and Doctor Who and... Oh, wow. Okay. Who was she? Casualty and also uh, Blue Peter. She was a Blue Peter host. host? Yeah. Is that what they're called? Presenter? Yeah, yeah, something like that. It's hard to think, but yeah. God, okay, that's very, very crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Tommy Steele, you said that we're going to talk about him. Yeah. What do I need to know about Tommy Steele? Tommy Steele is considered Britain's first teen idol and rock and roll star. <laughs> 
He's got he's got a name like that, you know. Yeah, that's not his real name. His real name is Sir Thomas Hicks. Yeah. Which Tommy Hicks isn't quite as cool as Tommy Steele. He reached number one in 1957. He released an album called The Tommy Steele Story, which is actually pretty cool because, you know, if you're going to release an album, make it sound like it's all about you. Yeah. He was considered to be Britain's answer to Elvis Presley. Cool. Okay. Yeah. And his manager actually picked the name Tommy Steele for him. But he moved on from being a, a just a singer to being an actor as well. And because he was sort of a rising talent and he had a good uh, audience draw, they then started casting him in musicals. So he was in She Stoops to Conquer and also Hans Christian Andersen. He was in The Happiest Millionaire, which was a Disney production, and also Finian's Rainbow. It's like his whole... I mean, it would take me 100 years to scroll through his whole IMDb. Yeah. But he was in everything. He directed a whole bunch of musicals. In the 80s, he directed Singing in the Rain in the West End and also performed in it as the main character. Because if you're going to produce your own musical, be the lead. It's the Kevin Smith route filmmaking. If you're going to make a film, star in it. You know, why not? Mm. He also then was Ebenezer Scrooge in Scroogical. Which isn't actually called that. It's called Scrooge the Musical. But I think Scroogical is a way better I name. did not know there was a Scroogical. It's great. Scroogical. I don't know mm. how you pronounce that. Oh, yeah. I do love a Christmas Carol. I love the Alan Menken Christmas Carol. I do not. And we're going to watch it this year. I've seen it. Have you? No, we're going to watch the film. So Tommy Steele. He's, so he, 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 he is... You want to know how famous he is? Oh. He shows up. In a James Bond novel. Really? As himself. <laughs> cool. He is named in Thunderball. Which is interesting because Thunderball is not one of my favourite James Bond films. Maybe that's because it doesn't have Tommy Steele in it. Maybe. But yeah, he's great. We love Tommy Steele. He's but cool he dude. seems like somebody who, you know, okay, tongue in cheek, he'll direct himself in a musical, but actually enjoys the medium as well. Like he knows... Like, what got him where he is mm. and has has made it a big part of his life. Yeah. Cool. How was the film received when it came out? Not well, is the answer to that, unfortunately. When, it, when they started making Half a Sixpence, it was supposed to be a really small and intimately filmed movie musical that reflected the way that the stage show works and unfortunately just as they started to shoot the film paramount was sold to golf and western okay and the director that they brought on for it and tommy Steele, who then had signed a three picture deal he said he was just going to do as much as physically possible go all ham all full out with these musicals because he'd been brought on for three musicals and he said that he's he would carry on the burden of starring in musicals in widescreen and color but he was not going to retreat into the background and he would do whatever he wanted to basically good however because of that the original rights owner sheena was not happy about the way that the film was being made and the way that it ended up was that 
they sort of ran away with the idea of it and made it into this big motion picture. Okay. Kind of thing. So, is this one that you think I'm going to enjoy? It sounds it sounds like the I live show can... is better than the film. So, I've seen the 2016 version, which was amazing. I got that surprised upon me by my parents as a present, and I knew nothing about it. I'd never seen the Tommy Steele version when we went to see that musical. Watching it that way around, watching the stage musical and then the film, is a bit of a letdown, but only from the perspective of there's songs in the stage version that aren't in the film. Okay, so I will enjoy this, potentially. Because you know nothing about it. Yeah, so it's not like I'm going into this film having seen mm-hmm. um, the show. It's kind of like Phantom. The, the Phantom film just doesn't hold up yeah. when you've seen Phantom. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. The other thing you might like about this is we've got Gillian Lynn choreographing the whole musical cool same person who did cats yeah and a whole bunch of other musicals that we've watched by now but everybody's talking about in the reviews the high step in choreography and how flashy and fantastic it all looks put together and that it looks really really good however one of the issues that people had with it is that if they'd have filmed it all on a sound stage that would have been a nice closed way to do it. They would have had access to everything they wanted to. But while it's really nice that they actually filmed it outdoors in England on the settings that they wanted to, it sort of loses this this sort of intimate energy of it, which is the thing that Sheena was the most worried about. Yeah, it becomes too big. And I think sometimes that's the problem with Mm. uh, theatre-to-film adaptations is you've got, obviously, the scope for more. Yeah. You know... We're not going to talk how much we loved Frozen, but actually, like, you talk about the animated world and you could do so much with that world, right? Mm-hmm. But there's something really nice about seeing that world on stage and brought to life in front of you. And it's not big. It's not too overdone. Yeah. But in reverse, mm-hmm. it would it, you would have the ability to make everything, like, to the point that would it as would it work, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I completely get that point. There's a lovely review from the Chicago Times where they said that Tommy Steele is the exact performer for this kind of show. He's a very good song and dance man and the only member of his generation who bears comparison with Gene Kelly. Cool. High praise. That is is high praise. Yeah. And my personal favourite headline about this film is that it's trite, gay and thoroughly meaningless. Cool. Which is what I would like on my tombstone. Please <laughs> well, it sounds like it's going to be 145 minutes of, of joy. Oh, God, this is such a long film. I do not remember it being this long. And when we talked about The Slipper and the Rose on It's Your Favourite Musical podcast, we talked about how when you're a kid, it doesn't occur to you that these movies are so long. The last time I watched this film was about seven years ago. It's a long time. You saw this film before the stage show? Yeah. Okay. Without realising. Yeah. Because it was when I came out of seeing the stage show that I was like, I feel like I've seen this before. Yeah. But I had no memory of watching it, which is... On on par for the course. Yeah, I never remember anything. I just don't remember it being this long. Yeah. Because I probably watched like 20 minutes of it and was like, that was a good film. <laughs> or is it just a case of time flies when you're having fun? Also true. Crash, bang, wallop. Time has slipped away from you because Mm. you got caught up 
in the joys of half a sixpence. Yeah. Oh, also, you know when we talk about my history with these musicals? Yeah. I fully thought that my mum made up that song, the Flashbang Wallop one, because she used to sing that when she was dropping us at school when I was in primary school. Yeah. And I would be like, that's a funny, weird song for my mum to sing, because she only knew the chorus. So she would just sing that bit. And then when I finally saw the stage musical, I was like, oh, okay. It's fun, though. That's quite a nice little uh, anecdote to end on. Yes, indeed. So we are off to... Uh, the sunny seaside the sunny seaside and we will be back after intermission Bang, what, a, what a picture, click, what a picture, what a photograph, poor old soul, blimey what a joke, hat blown off in a cloud of smoke, clap hands, stamp your feet, banging on the big bass drum, what a picture, what a picture, rum tiddly um pum 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 pum, stick it in your family, album. Flash, bang, wallop, what a picture, we are back we sure are it's been a tumultuous year yes because i think that's how long this film takes yeah roughly i mean it's a long film yeah <laughs> to watch it takes a whole year to watch it, it it feels over long at times but there's some really nice stuff to this one but it's definitely one to start earlier in an evening <laughs> that's for sure and it, it it does feel like whenever you're kind of coming to a close, it adds something more. Right, because one of the things I'm I'm sure will come up, as it usually does, is differences that are made between the stage show yes. and this version. Now, the 2016 one is my frame of reference because that's the one I've seen, but that ends with Flashbang Wallop. Yes, which that's feels the like a the really nice like closing point. Yeah. Like it feels really optimistic and like everything's coming up, Kips. Yeah. But with that, Anne marries him when he has no money anymore. That's when they get married. He loses all his money before they get married. Spoilers. Yeah, so. (laughs) But so when she marries him, there's no money anymore. He's back to being normal after. And so when he gets the money back via Chitolo. It's like, oh no, all this bloody money. What are we going to do with it now? Flashbang, what a, what a picture. Yeah. What a picture, what a photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is really interesting in terms of, like, your insert character is obviously Arthur, right? Mm. Arty, yeah. But there are moments in this film where it feels like you're supposed to dislike him. I don't... You know what I mean? No, I think he comes across as being desperately out of his depth, but in a way that's just completely understandable. But, yes, that's what I mean. Is it, For me, it's completely understandable. I like him. I dislike others' treatment of him, mm-hmm. which makes me dislike those characters. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's a film change, or if that's how we come across in, like, 
the version you saw. So we'll obviously talk about that as it goes on, but I feel like there are certain moments where you're supposed to be like, oh, Arthur, you've messed up big this time. And I'm, I'm left thinking, no, other characters have messed up. Don't take it out on poor little Artie. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if when we get to those moments, you're either going to talk me out of them or disagree with me or agree with me. Yeah. Well, there's a song in, in a stage show called You Never Get Anything Right, which is Anne singing to him and then he sings a reprise of it where he's like, everything I do is getting messed up. What is happening? <laughs> and you just feel really bad for him yeah. the whole time. And like I said in our preamble, it's really human. Yeah. The way that he's portrayed. It and is. I love it. One of the things I really like about this, and I guess we're going to start our review now. Yeah is how picturesque a lot of this is. So I think we open with a very picturesque image. Yeah. I'm pretty certain this is the same location that they'll return to for the bridge during the race. Mm -hmm. The geography of England is so weird in this one. It's like non-existent. It is non-existent. It's like we go back and forth places and it's supposed to have taken ages to travel. But really picturesque. And I enjoy, I know we talked in the preamble about how people didn't like how this became bigger. Mm -hmm. And it should have been kept small scale. And obviously you can do more because you're on film as opposed to um, stage. Mm -hmm. I do like the locations that they use. Yeah. I think it is really nice to see such beautiful places. But they're completely all over the place. This um, musical is supposed to take place in Folkestone. Yes, I got that, which is... Kent. Yeah. So the, they filmed in Aylesford in Kent. Yes. They filmed in Royal Tunbridge Wells. Yep. Yeah. One of a place I've been quite a lot. Yeah. Blenheim Palace in Oxford. Yep. Yeah. Which is the a couple of exteriors of different places. Oakley Court, which is in Berkshire. Uh, the bridge that you're talking about is the Devil's Bridge in Ceredigion, and then Ockham in Surrey, and then East Sussex. Yeah. Which you obviously recognised immediately oh, as so, being Eastbourne. Yes, because I am born and raised in Eastbourne. So there were bits like, <laughs> like hey, Eastbourne that's my stomping grounds. Um, but it's interesting because I also found out uh, in between recording and watching this that Anne mm -hmm. was born in Lewis in East Sussex. Groovy. So, yeah, very groovy. I, I, I liked those bits where I was like, I'm home. Yeah. We'll talk about things. I said to you I recognised the high street. I was like, I really recognise that high street. Is it because it's a quintessential high street? Mm. No, it's because I've actually... It's Tunbridge Wells, you've been in that high <laughs> I've street. I've been in that high street yeah. quite a few times. It's not very close to Eastbourne, but it's a mm. half an hour drive. I don't know that I've ever been to Tunbridge Wells. It's really lovely. Um, all of the interior scenes were shot at Shefton Studios. Which is our stomping grounds. Yes, indeed. Just down the road. Just all over the place. Without giving away our location. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The airport. That's where we live. I Yeah, I, I, I liked looking at different places. And if you are... I mean, it's the same with every film. If you don't... If you know New Zealand, watching Lord of the Rings is probably going to frustrate you. Because, like, they've gone to completely different areas. Oh, in the same way that... Angus thongs and perfect, perfect snogging. snogging really winds you up. Yeah, because like they walk down a corridor in Eastbourne or you know down a side street, yeah. and there's a like a Rick and Morty esque portal, and they step out in Brighton, which is a good like hours drive away. Yeah. So you know, I, I've always been looking for that shortcut, never quite found it. So uh, you know. you're a muggle, Harry. <laughs> uh, I I have two skip songs for this film, and we start. I mean, obviously. 
we usually discuss skip songs, but I really don't like Long Ago. Mm. I don't like the style of singing, the almost choir-esque singing. It's very... You know, I mean, it's very of the time. It, yeah, yeah. It's very, very much how things were in movie musicals when this was made. But it really always really reminds me of the opening of Cinderella, the Disney animated one. Yeah. Where they're singing like Cinderella, la, 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 la. And it's just like, okay, I'm sure there's some narrative happening right now. But I'm not listening to it. <laughs> I think the song here isn't necessary. Like, I really did not like the voices. I really just... This is one of the things that did not translate well yeah. when they adapted it because this is an ensemble number that happens at the beginning of the stage show. Oh, yeah. And then Artie and Anne sing it to each other because they're not children at the start of no. the stage and, show. and this is the thing, is I can 100% see it working like that Warhorse style, the way Warhorse starts with the community stepping out singing this song. We see the kids. You know, we could start with Kid Artie and Kid Anne running in amongst and then suddenly, like, grown come out you know like oh like in how they did it in frozen yeah, yeah you know you could see something like that but that kind of singing works on stage but here it just felt like it just it, i just didn't like it mm. i can't really justify why like old-fashioned feels like a cop-out but it did and it doesn't feel in keeping with the rest of the songs in this stylistically mm-hmm. so you can probably guess what my second skip it song will be uh as we get there but is it's, it the race? No, it's proper gentleman. Oh, uh, because mm, it's the same I, style. We'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah, but I have we'll such an axe to grind about the way yeah. that was done. So, uh, we we get children frolicking and they find a sixpence, just like one might find the Queen's Nose. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favourite uh, books and TV shows from when I was a kid. I did not know that was a book. I watched one. It was a fifty p, right? Yeah, yeah. I watched one episode of that and was like, "This is weird. This is not for me." The magic system in that upset me as a child. Every 50p I would get after that point, I would try rubbing the Queen's nose and wishing and alas, I What was the point of that? You just, you make a wish and... Yeah, and I think you get like five wishes or something. And uh, once the wishes are gone, you you relinquish your Queen's nose and it will magically, that same 50p will come back to you when you need it most. When the lessons learned in series one have been unlearned by your family... And you need the Queen's nose again. <laughs> do they, what kind of things do they wish for? Oh, it's just like making fun of like their older sister and the parents. It's kind of like. I wish my sister's hair would it, all fall out. Well, it is like Cinderella esque, but she's not stepsisters or anything. Like it's her actual sister and her family don't care about her, you know, and, you know, she, she, she makes wishes to improve her life and everything's better by the end, you know, because her family appreciate her. It's a series, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then in the gap between series one and two, the family stop appreciating her. And she needs to go through it all again. One of my favourite shows. I would kill to rewatch it and see how well that has aged. But that's on iPlayer somewhere. Probably. So this boy and this girl argue. Uh, both of them want to keep the sixpence. And the girl is not allowed to keep it because she's a girl who has no pockets. Except we see that she has pockets later on. <laughs> but where would she keep it? I like, I mean, that, that was a funny joke. It wasn't like... I like it as a joke and I like it because it comes back around later. Yes. And that it's just that young boy misunderstanding of that she does have pockets. Yeah. The whole time she has pockets and she just like doesn't say it to him. He's cute. Yeah. And Arthur Kipps is sold to a man. He is a boy, one boy for sale. He was going cheap and he has been bought. 
Yeah, so Artie is a an orphan, but he's specifically a... Um, oh, I cannot think what the word is now. Basically, he was illegitimate. Yes, yeah. Which is basically worse than being an orphan. He was a bastard. That's what it is, isn't it? Is If you are born out of wedlock... Yeah, but they say illegitimate in this. Yeah. Because you're not allowed to say that word on uh, film at the time. Are you not? In the UK, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. That's why they say illegitimate. Yes, so he's an illegitimate child who is not recognised. Yeah. Um, and therefore has been... Sold into apprenticeship. Sold into... Which a... means he cannot make any money. Yes. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's a shelter, it's a place, he learns a trade, hopefully, and... Yeah, well, technically he doesn't have a trade because he never completes his apprenticeship. But, yeah, he will soon, hopefully, grow yeah. out of his trade. He says goodbye to Anne. Mm-hmm. And I said, will he marry her at the end? Yeah. God, that little girl looks like the actress who plays Anne. They did a good job. I think both both of the actors looked very much like mm. their adult counterparts. Yeah. I think that's the thing with child actors is you've got to cast once you have their counterpart mm-hmm. once you know who's going to play adult versions of them then you look for someone who could age into them um i still think the greatest bit of like flattery it's not child actor into grown up but like matthew perry becoming zach efron in 17 again like <laughs> if i'm matthew perry i'm like thank you very much yeah you know the best i think my favorite example of child actor looking exactly like that adult counterpart ever is in uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So you've got Kiernan Shipka who plays Sabrina. They cast McKenna Grace as baby her. She's she's supposed to be like six or seven in the episode. And oh my God, because it looks exactly like her, but not even looks exactly like her. Looks like Kiernan Shipka did when she was that (laughs) age. Like exactly the same. It's crazy. So... He says he's going to tell her something important. Yeah. But he never does. Because he's told to get on because it's a long journey. And that's it. A trend in Artie's life. Yes. And we get the overture. Mm-hmm. And I really like this as an overture. I especially like it now having seen the full film. Because you can see and hear the different mm. sounds throughout it. Personally, if this had been the first bit of music, I think you'd have been on to a winner. Yeah. I don't think you actually really needed long ago. I get that it's part of the original show, but come on, they change. It doesn't actually add anything here. So the overture... Well, none of this happens in the original show. They added go. this backstory thing in for no reason. What happens in the show is you have Artie and Anne on the stage together talking. He gives her the half sixpence because he's already had it Jesus. broken. Says to her, I'm going off to... folk." Folkston, I always want to pronounce that wrong. Folkston, to do my apprenticeship, I will see you I'm whenever I shop. see you, basically. Because yeah. they're probably not going to see each other. Write to me every day. They sing half a sixpence. Wow. They that sing is long ago. So then they sing half a sixpence. And then he leaves. And then she's like, oh, write every day, Artie. And then. But that's, you know, we've already had the overture. That's how the show starts. Yeah. And then we cut to. Him in the Drapers. Yeah. Well, so here's what we get is we get a Think the Shining, but slightly less foreboding. The music is not as intimidating and the environments look a little bit nicer. Mm-hmm. You know, but think that sequence as we go up to the... Do you think Bates Motel looks very comfortable? It's not the Bates Motel. It's the Overlook Hotel. 
Oh no, I'm thinking Boots. Don't worry. Yeah, you're thinking. I think you said Psycho. Psycho. Yeah. Nope. Never seen Psycho. It's pretty good. I. It's one know, of those films that gets really hyped up. When you, when you know a twist in a film, I just lose the appeal in it. And I know exactly a huge deal with that was Alfred Hitchcock banned people from coming in late because he wanted the whole ambience and he there was like no spoilers because you needed to know because it was built like Scream was on you've got a star in it like Drew Barrymore was the star and then mm. the opening yeah of I maintain that Scream would never be made now yeah because there was no way it would work yeah because like there's films there's horror movies coming out now that I really want to see they've already been spoiled for me just by my Google when you open Google it gives you suggestions of articles yeah where it's like, oh, the twist in this, blah, blah, blah. It's like, great. But that's exactly it. So with Psycho, because I know too much about it, I've seen it parody too much elsewhere, I have no appeal in seeing it, even though I know it is so widely regarded. But anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, it's also a despicable representation of a trans character, but like... Well, yes, that too. <laughs> and, and and I forget that. Mm-hmm. You know, Lots of people do. Yeah. Including like... Family Guy and American Dad and The Simpsons and yeah. everyone that parodies it. Exactly. They eventually arrive after some very weird geography <laughs> with this trip. Oh my God. If yeah. you're in the know, they go a very, very weird route. It's almost like they do like a weird like circle. They do like the coastal path. Yeah. Except the wrong way. Yeah. Because one part of it is in Dorset. And then... Well, they do Eastbourne yeah. specifically like beachy head and then back to dorset which is very far west yeah and then back up to actually kent yeah and then which one is random field yeah. that is like in the middle of sorry somewhere it's so weird yeah it's the same as what we had with chitty chitty bang bang though, it's isn't like it? all of these places are so pretty we have to use and we paid somebody to go and get this footage yeah. so we use and i don't mind it like it is really pretty and it is such a minor gripe in you know like the grand scheme of things if you are a foreign audience watching this you don't know the difference and it does flow very well but when Mm. you know these landscapes it is a little bit jarring isn't it yeah because you know you just know the geography eventually they arrive at shalford's emporium and we are told that mr shalford eats boys alive are we watching a horror this week heck yeah (laughs) we need more horror movie musicals well Spooky season's coming up. It's I'm Halloween. Sure. It's already begun. Yeah, so he immediately feels like a very harsh taskmaster. Yeah. He's got very clear boundaries. I like the way he says economy. Yes, and I like how everybody else says economy. Yeah, con- no, it's efficiency. They say efficiency economy. Efficiency and an economy. Yeah. Yeah, efficiency. And uh, he goes to sleep. Mm-hmm. He must have passed like a wish machine. On the trip. Yeah. Just like in Big. Because mm-hmm. he wakes up as Tommy Steele the next day. Yep. Is that how that happens in Big? I haven't seen Big. Yeah, he makes a wish. I do not know the name of the machine. But it's like you put a quarter in, you hold the thing, and you say, I, I make a wish. And he says, I wish to be big. And he wakes up the next morning as Tom Hanks. And he has to find the machine again to wish to be small again. That's so specific. That sounds like a hassle. Insert magic object. You know, it's the same as Freaky Friday the Musical. We've got this magic sand timer. Oh no, we broke it. We must find the other. Having the, like, magical Asian Oh yeah, definitely. Well, this is the problem with uh, 
with big is it is heavily encoded as like a Asian. Was the genie right? Yeah, yeah. like a, a Asian kind of stereotype. Anyway, Tommy Steele wakes up and he tells the cat off mm-hmm. because like Edwin is not uh, pulling his weight. He is not catching any mice. Mm-hmm. He is a bad mouser. He's probably longing for the jellicle ball so that he can start a new life away from this. I always forget about this cat. And I always, every single time I've watched this, been like, what is he wearing? And then it's the cat asleep on his chest. But he's obviously having to really hold on to this cat to get it to stay there. And it's just really funny. Yeah. We meet uh, the workers. We meet his little group who I think if this film had been done in the 70s would 100% been the Beatles. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, haircuts, everything, you could see the Beatles doing this role. And they discuss the pros of communism. And they discuss the rules that Shalford has in place, that if they make tea, they're docked, like, tuppence. Yeah. It's very, very controlling. They're living down in the basement. Yeah. But they have, like, up on the, the kind of panels on the roof, the little bits of timber holding everything up, the words efficiency, which they mm. we, we've said, I love the way they pronounce it, efficiency. efficiency. Something else. And then... System. System and then okay. economy. And we get uh, the second song, All in Cause of Economy. Now, I have to admit here, I kind of was feeling, oh man, this film is going to be a yeah, slog. Yeah, this is where you said to me, the... Dubbing is dubbing really is off. really bad. And it, it, it's so noticeable. At a lot of points in this film, there are yeah. some bits in the film where it feels okay, but especially the singing. Do you know what? I'm really surprised there hasn't been a remastered version of this. Yeah. Because obviously the version we watched was on Amazon Prime, and that was great. Oh, well, it's just an SD version as well, wasn't yeah, it? There's it's no option for HD. Yeah, the one that's there. And there, there's never been a remastered one. But if you think about things like The King and I, the original movie, yeah. there's so many remastered versions of that, and... And it's funny because this is not problematic at all, really. I can't think of one instance of something that I was like, oh, that's aged badly. No. I guarantee if we watch The King and I, would be like, huh, mm-hmm. this shouldn't exist well, And anymore. like South Pacific, which yeah. has a lot of values that should be promoted nowadays, but also at the same time is kind of like, oh God, the casting. Yeah, so... It, it, the dubbing is very difficult to to watch at points in this film, mm-hmm. to the point that because you notice it, it's kind of like headache inducing. Yeah, I just kind of try to ignore it. So so did I, but it's it's difficult too because there are some points where it's especially noticeable. Yeah, I do so like we, this song though. Yeah, we have the three other boys: so Pierce, Buggins, and Sid are the other apprentices. And fun fact. Something that they cut from the musical for this film for no discernible reason. Sid is Anne's brother. Huh. Yeah. I guess there's elements of the plot that don't work if Anne has a link to Artie. Well, it's only relevant once. And that is, you know, when he comes back from his gap year. Yeah. And he's like... Oh hey, have any of you heard from Anne? And Sid like slams his book down and walks away. Yeah, like that's relevant. Yeah, and it's because it's his sister that he's like snubbed. And I didn't, left. but I didn't feel like that was notable. It didn't matter. No, it, it just felt like he's like you're cut back and showing off. You want to have it all. Yeah, you know, like I felt like that worked. 
I have thoughts about that kind of that issue with Anne and Artie. And we'll get to them when it crops up. Mm. I'm glad that they don't have that plot in here. I feel like that would make it even more annoying for me. And I would dislike Anne a little bit more than I already do. Okay. Well, you don't like Anne. I will talk about that when we get there. Okay. So we get some great lines in this this song. The beer is free, but the beer is water. I think that is fantastic. Steak is so rare. It's, it's rarely, rarely there. Mm-hmm. I Again, I really like that. You know, they're tongue in cheek. They're obviously not having a great life, but they've got each other mm-hmm. and they're finding the fun where they can. Weren't they saying as well that he'd be apprenticed until a certain year? So it's almost like they're doing their time knowing that... It's it's like 20 years, yeah. but he was like, what, seven when he was sent off? So yeah. he's stuck there. Until he's like 27. But they yeah. know that someday they'll get their freedom, you know, and mm. they'll go and it's just, you're enjoying, enduring it now, but there is like light at the end of the tunnel. In fairness, obviously they're not getting paid. This is indentured servitude. Yes. But... They work seven to seven, which is a long time, and then they can do whatever they want for the rest of the evening. But how? Because they don't have money. Right? <laughs> and if they're in debt, because obviously he has rules like, you know, you, you'll be docked or you'll have like... That. Right. Is it so just what, adding to your time that you're there? Well, I think what he's doing is they get a certain amount of money at the end of their apprenticeship. Yeah. Because Shelford's paying for all their food and everything. Yeah. So... You get some money, and then at the end, if you've had however much money taken off, that you money just don't is, yeah. get that money. Yeah, because he says it's uh, if you aren't efficient enough, it's a penny, and like other things, if your shirt's not tucked in nicely, it's like a shilling and mm. all this stuff. Yeah, and I, I do think they scrub up very well. Like by the time the end of this song, they are looking very, very presentable. Yeah. There's a nice sequences where they talk about how they have to go to church if they don't, they'll be in trouble. But they put the shirts over their heads to be nuns. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. If they don't, if they don't show up at church on time to save Shelford's soul. Yeah. Because obviously that's why he's doing this. Then they get docked. I think it's like four shillings. Yeah. And something threepence. Yeah. Like, and that's probably the most, and they don't want to lose that much. He'd have to go to church. Mm-hmm. So they go up, they open the doors, mailman shows up, there are letters, one is specifically for uh, Pips, yes, and we know it's going to be from Anne, of course it's going to be from Anne, and... The girls show up? Yep. So the girls are in exactly the same situation as the boys are. But they can't They can't live in the same place. I like, we see Mr Shalford walking down the high street... And I really like that we kind of get like the evil orchestration of uh, all in cause of economy. Mm-hmm. I thought that was quite nice. It speaks volumes about his character. And it's yeah. a really nice touch. And his poor little uh, accountant chasing yes. him down the street. It's so funny. We have a brand new golden rule. Mm-hmm. It's no longer love thy neighbour. It is efficiency. Yep. Efficiency. Yes, that is the most important rule. That is the golden rule. I this next sequence is very very weird stylistically and there's some weird choices in this that don't really crop up again Mm -hmm. but we get like a a snapshot montage of the day and there's not really like you get a musical sequence over it it's just like almost stop animation that shows points in their day yeah it 
it, it is essentially stop animation. It's snapshot animation. Yes. So it's random pictures, but usually in sequence. But they go back and forth, and you have some like a flip book. Like imagine if you show one, two, one, two, one, two, three, mm. four, five, four, five, four, five. It's very, very weird. I kind of love it though. I you, like a hundred percent have days where that happens. I I really liked it, but what I didn't like is that it shows up once. Yeah. That's true. I think if we you... have this and then a weird slow mo thing later on. Yeah, in the same way, you also then have a weird bit right at the very end, post flashbang wallop. Yeah. But I, I did not. I, I, I liked it. I just don't like that it never comes up again. Mm-hmm. Why put this in if you're not going to return to that motif? Because this is a, sh- a film that does a fantastic job of returning and referring to the musical motifs quite a lot. Mm-hmm. It's almost like stylistically they didn't know what they wanted to do and just, we'll try this. Oh, it didn't work. We'll keep that sequence because it's in the books now, but we just won't do it again. Yeah. Interesting though. But weird that there was no music to go over it. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, I'll say this for the sequence. It was a very efficient way <laughs> at yeah. showing a working day. Uh At the end of the day, Artie finally gets to open up his post. And sure enough, it is from Anne. Yep. She's here. For the first time in forever, she's here. Yes, the woman she works for has moved into the house that's nearby. Yes. And she's free at 7pm today, Mm -hmm. which is... Now. Yes, right now. (laughs) So he's going to dash straight off after work. Everyone else is kind of like, aren't you nervous? What if she's got spots or is fat? And he's like, no, no, it doesn't matter because she's my Anne and she'll always be my Anne. It doesn't matter, mm-hmm. which is really nice. I think that's really sweet of him. He doesn't care. And he had straight off the promenade. Yeah. I think that's really nice. Like, I like that there's not a moment. It's a really good character building moment for him because he's not like, oh, now you made me worried. Maybe I shouldn't go. How about you go? And if she's okay... You give me the thumbs up and then we'll trade places. He's just like, no, nah, it doesn't matter. Because mm-hmm. Anne is the one Dan, I've been talking to. Yeah, I know to. what Anne's like. Yeah. Yeah. And she's basically the only girl he's capable of talking to. However, I do think it's absolutely hilarious <laughs> that when he gets there, he looks and what does he see? A bigger woman with spots. Yeah. And Anne is hiding behind her. She's not hiding behind her. There's a, there's the stairs that go down. Yeah, she's not hiding, thing. but she comes out from there. And I think that's a nice kind of moment she looks great too yeah i agree like i would date that 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 first woman and does look great i just wanted him to go and perkins <laughs> boo no when she appears we get the first use of this little the, the vaseline camera yeah which is used so much during this film oh, but it it's is. the only time it's used on Anne. Mm-hmm. it's very interesting that it is isn't it yep I like the line he says, uh, you've grown up very nice. Yeah. It's very cute. He doesn't really know what to say to her, but he's just like, I want to say nice things to you. It's the thing, isn't it? When you're courting and you're messaging each other instead of talking in person, when you do actually have to talk in person, it's way more difficult. It was. I remember some of our first dates where it was like, hi. I literally just couldn't talk. I know. I'm pain. You will discover if you ever meet us in real life, I am painfully shy. And I cannot talk to people until I get to know them. There's a reason why I do the bulk of like the guest appearances. Yeah, (laughs) I'm really bad at speaking to people I don't know. So our first couple of dates, I literally didn't talk for basically the whole thing. Unless we got onto a topic that I could like really go on about. 
And now you are the no, one who talks more up. than yeah. anything else. Yeah. <laughs> Even if I wish you would. Stuck with me. Am I? Oh, yep. yeah, there's a ring now, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Um, have we mentioned that? <laughs> We're engaged. Um, <laughs> you two are to be married. Betrothed. I want to watch The Lion King, but The Good Lion King again. Um, so so they go along the promenade, they have a nice little date. It takes me back to some dates when I was a kid walking along Eastbourne Pier, you know, mm-hmm. or Brighton Pier. And um, one of the attractions there, it is such a con, guess the lady's weight, and he gets paid to guess her weight. If he's right, you yeah. have to give him a penny. And he was right. Mm. I could do that. You know this is still a thing. I know it's awful. It's just a, I would I, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want anyone to guess my weight. It's so weirdly specific. It is weirdly specific. I I like how jealous Arthur gets at like him touching her because he doesn't know what to do. It's like, am I going to be a gentleman in this moment and defend her honor? Does she need defending? Do I need to say anything about it? And she's obviously cool with it. She knows it's a bit of fun, mm. and he doesn't pick, make too much of a fuss. He's like, oh, it was very personal. Cause, yeah, but it was a bit of fun. Mm. And I quite like that he wants to defend, but doesn't know the right way to be chivalrous. Yeah, it's just she's like seven stone. <laughs> yep. Which means she must be about five foot one. Yeah, she says that she wouldn't mind being his girl, and he says, "Okay." Oh no, he says to her, "Anne, will you be my girl?" No, and she's no. like, oh, "I wouldn't mind." <laughs> <laughs> what happens now? Exchange tokens, and I just I could picture Anne going. Delicious. Oh, <laughs> the only accent I can do. The only impression I can do. <sighs> but they, I think the token is really cute. He's already thought about it. Mm. He's taken, and it's where we get the name of the film. He has taken that sixpence that they found when they were children. He's cut it in half and they can both carry one. So they will always be together. He says they will see it and finger each other. Mm-hmm. Which I had to ask you. Which is not what he said, is it? No, it was finger each other. Yeah. But I, 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 I spat my, my we Pepsi are a out. We're PG podcast. Yeah, that's what I said. We'll, we'll see it and, and finger each other. Mm-hmm. I spat my Pepsi out the first time I heard it. Because I was like, <laughs> what did he say? Think of. Think of each other. Yes. So we go into the titular song. Yeah. Half the sixpence. Half the sixpence. It is a token of our eternal love. Not an eternal flame, mm. just an eternal love. I mean, <laughs> the token kind of runs out of power halfway through the film. It's not quite eternal. I've literally just realised he never gave it back to her. I'm surprised you didn't just see it. We'll talk about it later. It's a whole thing in the stage show that at the end, he's like, I've got your present. And she's like, can you please stop spending money? It's really annoying. And because she's sick of all the money by that point. And he's like, no, I didn't spend money on this. And he gives her a ring box with the half a sixpence in it. And he says, I've got my one here. And, 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 and they play then into them putting it together in the lights. But then it's just them oh, being like, that oh, how good, it... it comes back round. Oh, God. <laughs> no, it doesn't end. Like... That's well, how it's my like version of it end would end. Oh. I can't remember whether it's a wedding present or a near the end. But yeah, yeah, the um, just, oh my gosh. He never gives back to her in the film. There are a lot of things that come up in this film that are 
irrelevant for the rest of it. Whereas in the stage show, they actually are used for something later on. But, so the half a sixpence yeah. that the show's named after yeah. I, stops being important after the race. I do like it in films where you have like, we pick up something and then that goes and never comes back. Because it is very much like real life. Sometimes things happen and we never refer to them again. Mm. But when it happens like that, when we never see the sixpence again, considering it's named half a sixpence, yeah. we like, you know, meet me in St. Louis and we never actually get to St. Louis, mm-hmm. you know, like, why is it called that then? Yeah. So the choreography of this is great. And throughout the show, the choreography is phenomenal. Gillian Lynn obviously has done a fantastic job. We knew that was going to happen. But the choreography is complemented by the uh, shot composition. There's a really nice sequence in this where you have a long shot of him dancing. Mm-hmm. And like in terms of the screen, uh, you've got maybe the bottom right corner of the screen. Like if you split it into quarters, it like, fills up half a quarter of that in the bottom bottom right. And it's just really beautiful as you see the rest of it. Yeah. Like, I liked that. You're, you're very tempted to have like medium shots where you can just see the full body bits it fits within the frame just this was a really nice choice and if you've not watched seen this film before watch it and you, you'll know exactly what i mean when when this song comes on if you have seen it hopefully i've described it well yeah um we get old timey film whistles during this song which you know definitely uh, are a lot louder than anything else mm-hmm. this is quite a quiet film at times and we had to turn the volume up and these whistles happened and i was like oh no my ears they suddenly don't work anymore yeah um the sped up bit was really nice as mm-hmm. well there's some just really nice filmmaking going on in this bit um it, it was a nice song yeah we cut back to uh the high street this mm-hmm. is where I, I was like where where is this set so it's like it's, it looks like a quintessential British high street, like very old fashioned, but really beautiful. And you're like, oh, yes, that's um, Royal Tunbridge Wells. I'm like, oh, I have been there. And that's why it looks so familiar to me, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we have Kips working in the front window. And you've got uh, uh, what's his face? Mr. Schindelman. Oh, the. The owner. Shalford. Ah, yes, Mr. Shalford. Shalford. I thought you meant the accountant. No, you've got Mr. Shalford talking to some patrons. And they're like, oh, yes, we do a woodworking class. Would any of your boys be interested? It's Helen and her mother. Right, I know that now. But... Yeah, but at the time, it's just some people's. Yes, and he, he says, oh, yes, look, Kip's over there. He waves at Kip's, Kip's waves back. Goes, and therefore volunteers himself. Therefore volunteers himself as tribute in the woodwork games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that though, because uh, he goes back in. Chalford goes back in, and gets like, "Well, I can't tonight. I'm busy. When did I volunteer? Just then." It's like, "Ah, no, I did not." And he lets Edwin out, and Edwin is a cute cat. Edwin is a cute cat. This... However, inadvertently, let somebody else in. Yeah, this bit confused me. I think this is one of the rare moments in this film where the shot composition didn't work. Yeah, so we get a shot of. Artie putting the cat out, then a shot down the street of Chitolo coming along on his bicycle, then Chitolo coming towards the shop on his bicycle. Yeah. Which means he had to have swerved right 
to come in the door. It was weird, yeah. And then Artie being knocked, like Artie on the front of the bicycle being knocked over the shelf. Yeah, definitely looked like a weird jackass stunt, you know. I was thinking a bit more Chuckle Brothers. Yeah, there's that as well. Very, kind of... very Chuckle Brothers vaudeville humour. Yeah. I don't like this sequence. I don't like Chitolo. Yeah. So that's fine. I, I don't like Chitolo. I feel like this bit is a very weird out of nowhere does nothing for the plot doesn't really move anything forward like Mm -hmm. in terms of the weakest excuse to get kips to the theater is because this all happens and he's split his trousers well it's not even about getting him to the theater it's getting him some money but but that's what i mean is it's just like uh because they don't this doesn't happen in the musical. Yeah, it, it's weird. I, I don't understand the whole... The, I don't like the bit where he starts acting. I don't think it does anything for this character because he just comes across really like no, Trevor no. Slattery. Hmm. But not in a good way. So, in stage musical version that I've seen and from what I've read of the plot of the original stage musical, what happens is... Artie has already locked up because the cat's not in the stage show. Yeah. He is stepping out into the street and Chitlow hits him. Apologises. Like, I'm so sorry. This is so terrible. Please let me help you, take you somewhere. You know, we'll go to the pub and I'll buy you a drink. Yeah. So they go to the pub. And he's never drank before. Is that a point in the stage show as well? Yeah, he doesn't drink because he doesn't have any money. Yeah. And uh, it's against the rules. Yeah. Shulford doesn't approve of it. It's not efficient. But, so he goes to the pub and all the other guys are there as well, and the girls, they're all at the pub with Chitolo. Chitolo's like, hey, what's your name? He's like, I'm Arthur Kipps, what's your name? And he says, that's amazing, I saw your name in the newspaper today, here it is, look, you've got all of this money. And then the entire chorus sings Money to Burn, which means it's his friends saying to him, what would you do with all of this money? Yeah, whereas... In the version that we watched, it's a weird. They have to get into the theatre because his trousers have split. We don't even address the damaged stock that's yeah. happened. They get. To... They're going to have to clear that up. Yeah, they get to the theatre, and you know the one bit of like nice character building here is the fact that Kips is mm-hmm. very awkward around hot, in his words, women. You know, and and oh no, that's not what that means. Is it not? No, it's like old English hot, like feisty. Oh, okay. Well, okay, but he he definitely like you would you don't want to touch it. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. It's changed now, obviously. I um what I liked though was the fact that he's very much personality driven. Yeah. At this point, he can't talk to someone unless he knows them as a person. Welcome to my world. <laughs> no, but it's really really nice about Kips. You know, you don't see that very often for male characters. Yeah, that's true. And you know, she she lies him on his knee, sews him up, and so funny. and and that's when they do the introduction of uh, what's your name, Kips. Oh, that's so funny because I've just written a play with her. He's with like that upside name. down, yeah. Because all my characters always have a, a real name because I just think it adds to the authenticity. Yeah, he says he doesn't believe in using made up names because it doesn't they never sound real. Which fair, yeah. Absolutely, but that's where we learn that uh, he's about to strike it rich. He is now a millionaire, and we get money to burn, and he's going to buy himself a banjo. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think he actually understands at this point just how rich he is. Yeah, that's the only thing he wants. Yeah, he's just like, he thinks... Yeah, so, 
He gets twelve hundred a year for the rest of his life. Twelve hundred and fifty a year. Well, you know, I round for the rest of his life. Yes. So I converted it from around the early nineteen hundreds to today, and it's that's a million and a half pounds a year. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, it really is. Yes, please. Yeah, right. And. But that is like to somebody who's gone from not even being given spending money. To he has everything. nothing. Yeah. To you could literally go out and buy Shalford's Emporium right. if you wanted to. Well, and he refers to that. Like yeah. he might do that just just because. I like this song. I yeah, think same. there's. I I love that this is you know a vaudeville setting at this point because it feels very vaudeville as a number. He gets a banjo and he's playing it. He <laughs> the just guy knows, in the audience hands him the banjo. Yeah, he just so knows how to play it. There's a nice bit where there's some walking choreography from all the boys. It's like straight legs and the arms forward. And mm-hmm. it, it's nice. I yeah. liked it. But I will say this. Not keen on the clowns. Not yet. Not keen on, keen on the clowns. I think this is an issue I have with the whole show is these numbers, as beautiful as the dance is, I think every song goes way too long and I lose interest in it. Yeah. You could cut a good half an hour of this film mm-hmm. by cutting some of the dance breaks. There's a nice bit in this dance break. I will say this one. I wasn't so fed up with it here because there's a dance break in the middle where you get a lot of different styles. Like you get the orchestra style, the the, the ballet style, the uh, uh, clown style. You know, I thought that was really, really cool. But all of the dance breaks go on too long at times in every single song and it gets boring. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just, I, I, I don't know if that's something that happens in the stage show, if it's just the film. Yeah. But again, there's so many of these songs that this version of this song is going to have a massive musical interlude and there's a lot of them that I would skip. So originally the same as the Rodgers and Hammersteins that we've watched, there are a lot of big musical interludes. We've got to show off what our uh, ensemble members can do, especially if you're hiring ballet dancers yes. for your chorus. However, the modern one does not have this. Yeah, It still has a musical break where they will dance, and it's great. It doesn't go on for this long. Though. Yeah, and it, it, it does affect my engagement with this film. Yeah. It feels like it loses momentum. And when that happens in a film, when you're going in and out, in and out, in and out, it's just difficult. And we've seen so many musicals at this point. that Obviously, uh, we're 76 episodes in, which, <laughs> wow. It's crazy. But my rankings are becoming more and more difficult. I think, where do things go? And there are so many better musicals that are like more concise. You get these really nice moments, but they don't drag. You know, and I'm fully immersed throughout. Yeah. And that, I think, is something that has become very important for me for musicals is I need numbers to be shorter and punchier. I don't mind a six-minute long song, mm-hmm. but I need words more consistently throughout yes. to keep me engaged. Like, um, Me Old Bamboo has a dance break, but it is not that long. Mm-hmm. So just just something that, for me, I think brings this film down controversially maybe i know your mum wasn't happy when i said that true (laughs) so after this they're all drunk and kips is hung from a lamppost and he's caught by shalford and he's sent to woodwork yeah not before he is very nearly drowned by shalford to try and sober him up in a horse trough 
I think that's asking for trouble. Woodwork and alcohol are not good bedfellows. No. So this is where we properly meet Helen. Yes. I hate her. (laughs) And they've taken out the reason why. Oh, really? Yeah. See, this is the thing, is I feel like she comes across a lot more likeable than Anne. Yup. That's why I hate her in this Mm. version. The reason why I hate her in the stage show. Is it this early on or is it later on? Do you want to wait until we get to the point it would be? Or do you want to tell me now? No, I can wait. You're right. It's not in this scene. In this scene, scene she's perfectly charming. It's the next time we see her. Oh, really? Once he's rich. Okay, cool. So we're going to wait. Well, he's rich here, but he's not rich. Once she knows he's rich. Cool. So we're going to wait then, and we'll talk about that then. I'm just trying to take the mental prompt to to remind you. Yeah, I'll try and remember. Because I would hate to not hear this story. So Mm -hmm. she comes across really nice at this point. She's kind of a little taken aback by him. You know, what does he want to do? Particularly weird that she's teaching woodworking. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, there's no real reason given as to why she is as well. Yeah, so again in the stage musical, she's just running this after school club. Someone's just facilitating thing. it, yeah. Yeah, she's just there and as the like patroness of the event. But because the, in the stage show, there are people doing different things as a girl doing pottery on the stage. But you have that here as well, is like. Yeah. So she's just sort of there. Weird. We have, oh God, right. Obviously, it's been a while since I've watched this film. But this one interaction that she has with the guy who is doing the woodwork has like stuck in my head because she she says to him, he's not a main character. We never see him again. She's like, this is coming along beautifully. Isn't it looking wonderful? And in front of him, he has two pieces of wood (laughs) nailed together at a right angle, one of which has some flowers carved through it. So there's, there's actually holes. And then the other part has round holes going along through the top. And he's like, oh, I'm just making. It's like just like a nice experience to just make something. I don't even know what it is. And she says it's a pipe stand. Yeah. If the point of this is it's for people who don't have a trade, who don't who are out of work to learn, learn a, trade a trade and be able to get jobs. This man does not have enough pipes to need a pipe stand. And so he looks really taken aback and he's like, is it? Yeah. And she's like, yes, look, everybody, it's the most wonderful pipe stand. Look, he's such a good example to us all doing such wonderful work for the home. And everyone around him is just kind of like, okay. Proper like first world perspective there. Right. And it just really stuck in my head. But his reaction more than anything else where he's just like, is it a pipe stand? <laughs> okay. It's the same thing where maybe I watch chair duets that my kids come up with and I'm like, this is what I'm taking this to mean. The kids go, yeah, yeah, if that gets us a better mark. Yeah, sure, whatever you say, boss. <laughs> One of the bits I like is Kips. I did is, do that on purpose. Yeah, Kips is a little bit tipsy. He sees the wibbly wobbly, like, clay. Yeah. He, he feels worse for wear and he goes he to leave. I need to step outside. And he punches the glass. Yep. Cuts his hand. His wrist. Yeah, and everyone gathers around to watch him get bandaged. And He's, She says, where's your handkerchief? And he says, I, I don't, don't have, have a cold. cold. Because again, first of all problems. Yep. So she bandages his, his wrist and she says, put your finger on the knot. So he does. And then she just ties his finger into it and he doesn't take his finger out. So he's just stood there with his finger yep. tied to his wrist. I have a theory as to why he likes her so much. I will go into in a bit as well. Beer goggles. 
well, it's not the beer goggles, but I have a kind of weird theory that maybe this is why he thinks he's in love with her. But we'll get to that when I... Is it what this man's about to say? No. Same guy? No. So she says, I think that's all for today. We're all going to leave. Yeah. Everybody starts to leave and he says thank you to her for bandaging his wrist. And she says, like, look after yourself, dear. Yes. And then leaves. And then the guy who was doing the pipe stand is like, I've been here for three months and she's never called me dear. How dare you? Like, (laughs) you're so lucky. Yeah. And Kips is like, oh, okay. (laughs) No. And that's the end of the scene. <laughs> it is the end of the scene, but I do like the beer goggles when he does see Helen. You know, you get the Vaseline again. Yeah. You know, it, it's no longer just Anne. Anne is no longer the apple of his eye. He has two apples mm-hmm. that he would like to it gaze is. at. There's a really good mu- uh, song that was added into the 2016 version called In the Middle, There's Me. And he sings about how Anne is exactly his cup of tea and Helen is really far above him, but that she's paying attention to him and it feels nice to get that kind of attention fair i think everyone can say they've been in that position and he there's a line he says i'm a chump i should lump for the one who's my cup of tea yes which is true but he means it in like a i should know my own class kind of thing yeah but actually no what it is is that Anne's like a normal person yeah (laughs) he would be good for you well yeah he he sleeps through church and then uh they wake him up with a horn yep and it's time to go to the beach, but he is very much infatuated with Helen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, we are now in Eastbourne. This is a beach I have walked along many a time. It was very nice to see it. Do you wear your stripy bathing suit? No, we didn't have the uh, stripy changing uh, tent either. But, mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 it's just nice to see it, like the pier and everything. It's like, and it's cute, isn't it? It is. It's like, I'm at home for, for 10 minutes. Flo has a very annoying voice. I'm glad we don't hear more from Flo. Also a main character in this day show. Yeah. And all... her and Anne have a song together because they become best friends. Very, very weird. But we get I don't believe a word of it. So it's I don't believe a word of it slash I'm not talking to you. Yes. Because so we you, go into the second part. You can absolutely tell that is not Anne singing because some of the... Uh, the words that we hear, you can see are longer than her mouth moving. Yeah, which is weird because, well, maybe they filmed differently back then, but what you used to do is just play the record. Yeah. And the person would mime. Yeah, or possibly they did it after the fact. Yeah, so maybe she recorded and then they were like, "Mm." Yeah, maybe that's all it was, is that they they did it after, but very, very weird. Um, Yeah. So... Anne shows up, recognises Artie's friends from having spoken to Artie about them before, and then... Yeah, because she was jealous of Flo. She was like, are you Flo? And he's like, no, Flo is someone else's girl. She picks the prettiest one. Yeah, and, and when she like, sees Flo, Flo, she's like, okay, nothing to worry about. Which is a very nice human touch, but speaks volumes about Anne as a character, I think. And This is another thing that's left over from the stage show. Flo is in love with Artie in the stage show, and they have a song together um, called Just a Little Touch. Which is a just a little bit touch. It's an innuendo song where Mm -hmm. they sing about how they'd all both love a stick of rock and that sometimes they'd go on uh, bumpy donkey rides just to feel something. Yeah. And (laughs) it's all very innuendo laden. Yeah. But they become really good friends and Anne even says to her, look, I wish he'd just sort it out and come around for one of us because we're both nice humans who deserve... A nice guy 
Yeah. He's a nice guy. He is. He actually really is. Not he does a... not notice Flo at all for the no. whole show, though. I, I don't really like this song because, again, I feel like what has he actually done to justify being villainized by everyone? Right. I don't so, feel he's done anything at this point to justify it. This is the thing, though. It's nothing to do with him. It's the girls riling her up that yeah. gets her to this point. So in I Don't Believe a Word of It, the other three girls are saying to her, oh, he was out all night drinking, and but she knows that Artie doesn't, doesn't drink. drink. He's never written about it. So he doesn't drink. Oh, yeah. Well, he was also at the theatre and this is the show that was on. And he was across the lap of a a stripper, basically, yeah. and all this stuff. And she's like, he's not that kind of guy I would know. We literally tell each other everything. Yeah. Which is true. He's not that kind of guy. He has never done anything like that. This is all new territory for him. But so because she's being wound up about it. When they say to her, oh, yeah, and then afterwards he went out, smashed a window, and a rich woman, because he's now rich, tied his wrist. And, oh, she's so beautiful and everybody loves her and she's wonderful. So when he arrives and he has his wrist tied and he's hung over, she's like, oh, my God, everything they've just told me is true. I hate you. But that's one of the reasons, like, A, this song is a very difficult song to follow. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I just don't like the character of Anne very, very quickly because she doesn't give him a chance. Like, yeah, okay, all, he, he, he's hungover and his, his wrist is cut, but mm. doesn't mean that it was... Because everything we've seen, and this is what's really interesting, is we see it from his perspective. Nothing he has done is untoward towards anyone. You know, he is very, very... Yes, okay, the one thing he will have done, obviously, is he's looked at uh, Helen and is a little bit infatuated. But, yeah. I mean... There's no rule against looking, you know? Okay. No, I... Right. <laughs> End of podcast. <laughs> he hasn't done anything wrong at that point. It's not no, like but he made we know a, that. Yeah, we know that. But this is the thing is he genuinely hasn't done anything wrong. And because you have Anne, just believe everything without giving him a chance. It makes her so unlikable. She's saying to the girls she doesn't believe anything that they're saying. And then he shows up and makes her look a fool. Yeah. Because it's all true. Yeah. And she looks like an idiot for believing in that in front of people she's never met before. Yeah. So when she sings, I'm not talking to you, it all seems not justified, but justified to her. Yeah. But I don't, because we're not seeing the world from her perspective. Mm. I like the shot as they leave the tent, they're going down the beach and they're kind of going through people. It feels very hectic, like very much like you are as confused as Artie is. Yeah. She climbs on the groins, he follows. And she falls off and says, I'm not talking to you. End of scene. Yes, indeed. And now Harry is back with news. We, we learn it's £1,250 a year. And he's uh, inherited his grandfather's house. So uh, he, everyone's very excited. There's a lot of commotion as Shalford comes on in. And Shalford's immediately like, this is not efficient. Yeah. And Kipps puts him in his place. Mm -hmm. he's like you should treat me with some respect i've worked hard we've always been great and you never cut some slack you should consider yourself lucky i'm not buying you and firing you because you can't fire me i quit he does actually say i could buy you out by the time you say efficiency which was nice you know yeah. it was nice to see him standing up for himself we get proper gentlemen which again i don't like you know as he Kind of uh, 
the montage is nice. I like the sequence, you know, of seeing him visit the world. That is very, very cool. Yeah. I do not like the song Proper Gentleman. It's too, like, long ago. This is another one where I'm like, why? I understand long ago because I didn't really like it in the show either. Mm. This is such a fun number in the show because what they're doing while this is happening is we're still in the draper's shop. He's buying out their stock at just to make a point. Yeah. And they're choosing outfits for him and they're fitting him for a new suit and it's them that are all singing it. But there's also a sort of bittersweet layer to it because as the song goes on, his friends are all realising that he's probably never going to talk to them again. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Which he wants to. That's what I really like. He wants to, but they're all realising as it goes on, like, Shulford's suddenly being really nice to him as the song gets further on. Well, because they're so focused on, like, the rich-poor divide and consumerism versus communism. He is now one of them. He's exactly. the enemy. And I, it's one of the things about this I consistently feel bad for is Kipps never really has any true friends. People use him when it fits them. Yeah. And people very quickly, he goes in and out of favour. This poor, nice chap mm -hmm. goes to all these misadventures, but never really meets somebody who treats him as an individual. They see him as like a comrade or see him as, you know, a quick way to make a buck off him or, you know, we can enhance our own reputations. And it is very, very sad, you know, because all he wants is just, I want to keep my old friends. They're the ones who make issue with him. He wants to be with Anne. She doesn't write to him. You know, he he just and then he meets someone else. Like mm -hmm. I feel bad for him, and I think that would have been a really nice sequence had they kept it in the film. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I really like seeing his gap year, and the photos were a really nice little thing. Like mm -hmm. that as a sequence is cool, but the song isn't, and it's a shame because it could have been so much more. Yeah. So I guess if we had three acts in this this musical, this would be the end of Act One. Yes. He's now rich. He's become Mr. Arthur Kipps. Yes. And we see him arrive back down uh, the high street in his fancy motor car. Mm -hmm. Everyone else has a horse and a uh, cart. But he can afford this now. He can afford this. And he comes in and he's got gifts for everyone. Yep. And it's really, really sweet. And they don't really seem to care as much. Everybody except Sid is really into it. Yeah. They're all very pleased. The girls are very pleased with their yeah. perfume and chocolates and things. Yeah. And the two... Other boys, Pierce and is it Budgie? I can never remember. Bum Bungie, Buggins. Yeah, that was close. Um, the little one with glasses. And then Sid, he gives a book of Marxist letters. Yeah, essays. Basically, something. Yeah. And he's like, "Don't let Shalford see this. You know, I'll, I'll be out of here." Yeah, he's like, "Oh, you're trying to get me fired. You're one of them now." Yeah. Which, and then Barty says, has anyone heard from Anne? And yeah. Sid just stomps his book down and is like, fine, don't yeah. talk to me then. And then just leaves. Yeah. So Anne didn't write. And everybody says no. Or they don't even say no. They're just not really willing to talk to him about it. Because mm. from their perspective, he got rich and ditched his girl. Yeah. Which I don't think he did. She said she wasn't talking to him first. Yeah, no, I know. But from their perspective. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. everyone's out to... Right, this is just like High School Musical. This is High School Musical 2 all over again. <laughs> everyone else in this universe sucks except Arthur Kipps, who just wants to make everyone else's life better. Yeah. Arthur Kipps, Troy Bolton, you need to get in contact with each other because 
you are two shiny examples of what it is to be a good person in a world that needs more good people. Mm-hmm. And uh, your world did you wrong. Yep. Kips, he, he leaves and he just feels empty. He doesn't look happy. Uh, Edwin, Edwin's not even appreciating him anymore. Edwin doesn't like the collar and hisses, scratches Kips and runs off and we never saw Edwin again. And he hands, this is so sad, he hands the collar that he bought Edwin to Shalford and is like, he'll get used to it. And Shalford's just like... Stood there like, what? What on earth is wrong with you? Yeah. But he can't say anything because... He's a customer at this point, yeah. Right. So, he's back at the promenade. There is a, a musical show going on. It's a musical. Yeah, it's a, a outdoor concert. Outdoor concert. And he sees... What are those things called? Bandstands. Yeah. Yeah, he sees Helen at a show and she read about him in the Gazette. Right. Right. <laughs> tell me all. Tell me more. Tell me more. So what we learn in the stage show in this scene is that the Waltz and Gnomes don't have as much money as they pretend there to. There we go. That's what I thought. And they are social climbing via Helen because it's too late for her brother. He can't marry Rich. And with a name like Hubert, why would anyone marry him? But also he he the way he comes across is like he's doing very well off of other people's money. So we're OK for now. Oh, yeah. More on that in a bit. Yeah. But we need Helen to marry a rich, stupid man who will let us control his money so that we can do whatever we want. Yeah. And so Helen is sort of semi-forced into seeing him. But at the same time, she chooses all of the dates where they're going to meet and it's her pursuing him. Yeah. And she's an adult, so I have no time for the... Like, I mean, good for her. She has no control over her life. She's a woman in the early 1900s. Yeah. She can't own anything. So why not? Good for her. But the same as everybody else in this musical, like Chitolo and his friends, is using him for his money. Yeah. And as the show goes on, the giant house that they're building, that's for her. That's who he's building it for. He doesn't know that they're building it. She says to him, we're going to have 11 bedrooms in case we have guests or people staying. And he's like, I don't need 11 bedrooms. So it's a completely different show then to the film. The film is completely different. Yeah. They completely rewritten it. They got rid of Helen at the end. But I hate her in the stage show because all of this stuff's happening and it's his mother, it's her mother that's saying to Artie oh no you but you'll need all these rooms you'll be wanting to entertain all the time Helen is a prominent young woman yeah. she's going to be entertaining guests and right Artie's like I'm but I'm not good at any of this it's terrible also there's a whole song where she has a go at him about the way he pronounces words and about how terrible everything about him is everything about Literally. you is going to be wonderful that's she basically sings that song God. and is like here's everything about you i'm gonna fix everything about you sucks. and just makes him completely tears apart his identity yeah until he does exactly what so she says she's, all the time. she's his squip yeah right this film needed that right this film because otherwise who's our that. villain because yeah. it is just Anne. otherwise right there, there's n- wow I think you might have just talked me out of liking this more than I did I'm before. Sorry. How rare is that? Usually you talk me into liking things more. You've never talked to me. This into... film really upsets me and what it has done to the so, show. So, 
Um, he's invited to tea at four. Hubert says no to him coming early. And we have a storm, which everything, you know, caused everything to leave. And I did say, is this storm pathetic fallacy? Uh, but what we do have when the storm suddenly rages is the guy that's conducting is like, quick, we need to finish this song. So they play it louder and quicker until it sounds like we're in a horror movie. And it's, very it's so cool. funny. Yeah, it's... um. The music direction for this film is lovely. It is fantastic. So, he's infatuated with Helen. And I'm thinking, well, what about Anne at this point? And do you know what? I don't judge him. Anne is no longer interested in him. He is allowed mm. to move on. Yeah. He sings uh, Too Far Above Me. Right, so this is my theory. He knows he loves her. Right, okay, fine. Or is it just mummy issues? Now, she's not older than him. She's similar age. However, obviously being an orphan, we don't know how old he was when he lost his mum, but he was quite young when we saw him in the first bit, right? When has he ever had a female figure... Pay this much attention to him. Pay this much attention, but also look after him. You know, like, she did a very maternal thing in wrapping his bandage and calling him dear. Like, that's, that's very, like, maternally encoded, right? And... One of the key things about, more so in the stage show than in this version, is that he's really bad at talking to women. Yeah. And is it so easy for him to talk to her because he's just, she's just like this mother figure he doesn't have. Or even this saviour kind of right? figure. Yeah. So for me, it's one of those weird things. I'm like, is this just, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know where the plot is going with this. Mm-hmm. But like, is it one of those things where he's going to think he loves her, but it's just misguided love where he's just like, oh, I don't love you in that way. You just are a really nice person who looks after me. And I've never had that before or experienced that before. I like your theory. Yeah. It's like the uh, troll theory. Yeah. Uh, it's just my, my, my half a sixpence on the matter, you know, um, <laughs> Because he hasn't ever had this kind of attention before. Mm. And it is just nice for him. And in the same way that when he when he's over there in a few scenes later, when he's there for tea, she she takes a tea of him and, and offers a way to clean him up. It is very it's not flirty, it's let me help you. So we'll talk about it as we go. Um yeah, he he he's early. I like this bit, so she goes, Oh, have you been waiting long? Oh, I, I got here a bit ago, but you know, I just I took up a, and down walked up and down. Oh, how long have you been doing that? An, An hour. hour. Yeah. Because no, he hasn't got any friends. Nobody wants to talk to him. He sits his life alone. Well, even when he's talking to his friends They're not earlier, interested. when he says to them, they ask him what he does all day. He says sometimes he, he reads the paper and then he'll go for a walk. That's about it, really. Yeah. Sometimes he'll go for a drive and occasionally he talks to his lawyer. He's very sweet. He's so cute and just likeable. And you, you, yeah, you want to see friends. him do it. He does. Um, and, and especially in this scene, he's a real fish out of water. I think for the first real time here, he's in a world he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I like his riddle. What does a man do standing up? What does a woman do sitting down? And what does a dog do on three legs? Shake hands. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought I was like I was cringing at this point thinking this is not the time for this don't don't say what I think you're going to say that's the point it, that's how you're supposed to take it I know because it's like I, a bawdy musical kind of but I really did enjoy it I thought it was funny it made me laugh because it subverted my expectations of where he was going to go mm. you know and I thought that was great I just thought I mean obviously you know 
This is the thing though, right? And maybe it's just a weird... Maybe I'm misremembering or maybe it's, it is just the movie, but I don't think Helen is like this in the show. No. Like she seems to really understand that he doesn't understand the social etiquette. Yeah. So she keeps telling him how to fix things. But we get to a point during a really good song called Pick Out a Simple Tune, yeah. which is the return of the banjo because it's important. Because yeah, the banjo's never... He never bought a banjo. Yeah, right. Because in a stage show, he buys a banjo, carries it around with him all the time, and he's having lessons. And it's important. It's like the only thing he does because he has no friends. So they go to this, I guess, dinner dance is the best way to describe it. But you bring in your instrument with you yeah. and you play for everyone. So Lady Watsit's brought her flute and so-and-so's brought their violin and Hubert is going to play the piano for us. And here's good old Artie Kipps with his banjo. Exactly, but none of them know what it is because yeah. banjo is not from... No, not Kent. from their society. And... It's a sort of music hall instrument, yeah. so nobody's expecting to see it there. And so when he plays, he says he's going to play for them, and then he changes his mind because he can see the way that Helen's looking at him. And then the woman who's running the party is like, oh, are you going to play for us? And he says, oh, no, I think Helen would rather that I didn't. And the woman who's running the party is like, is that true, Helen? <laughs> Tell us all of your goss. Oh, so it's like a whole thing. This this scene is really cute. I like the way he stuffs his his plate full of cakes and they fall off. He's really awkward. He he dunks the biscuit and his mannerisms when he did that I thought were very like Rowan Atkinson. The way he's like plop and up like I just something about that. You can see how is it Tommy Scott Steele? Tommy Steele. Oh my goodness. Sorry, Tommy Steele. You can see where he's had an influence on people watching this and growing up. You know. Mm. Um, Oh, do you know what's really fun, funny to me? Yeah. I think it was a bit earlier when we were, they were doing If I Had Money. Yeah. Um, you said if this was made a couple of years later, they'd have cast the Beatles in this role. One of the things that they attributed to the failure of the film in the US was that the Beatles, Beatles mania hadn't got to the US yeah. yet. And if it had, maybe this film would have done better because Tommy Steele would have been a little bit more famous. Yeah. But, yeah, just something that I suddenly thought it's very of. very interesting, yeah. yeah. I, I think this is the thing. He also has very lovely manners. The way he says goodbye to everyone, and obviously he's away, he's got cake on his hand, cleans himself up, and he thanks them very much for the lovely tea. He's a little bit embarrassed. Even though his manners aren't where they should be by high society standards, he is still very, very polite. Mm -hmm. Hubert seems very off with him. Like, you don't know why. Why does he feel threatened? Is he worried that this, this man will bring his family into disrepute because they shouldn't socialise with new money? I, I don't really ever understand why Hubert is so, like, anti him. But, you know... Yeah, because if he was nicer to him... Although saying that he never figures out that he's spending his money, Helen has to tell him. Yeah, but so there's no, he has no reason to even care. But considering the subplot in the the show of like why that no family, money. yeah, like feels like Hubert should probably be nicer as well, like really welcoming him into the fold. Because especially he's like, I'm going to help make you richer. I think it's more just that from the show perspective, Hubert is the man of the family. The mother's husband is dead yeah so they don't have any money coming in and you can only leave money to men yes so hubert's obviously spent all of their money which has caused a problem yeah 
So he should be fulfilling that man's role of the time. He should be bringing money and providing his family. The fact that Helen is having to social climb, but not even social climb, lower herself... Is a failure on Hubert's part. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of no wonder that he hates him. It's all very interpersonal. Pomp and circumstance, yes. Well, we are now messing about in a boat on the river. Yeah, we are. You wrote very well, Mr. Kipps. Um, uh, everyone talks in this. At this point, I think... Oh, okay, we're just watching a uh, reversal of My Fair Lady. She's going to My Fair Lady him. He is mm-hmm. Eliza, and she is Henry Higgins. You know, she's going to better him. And it feels very much at this point as well. Like, has he, Again, it's that maternal thing. Like, he's completely misunderstood her intentions towards him mm-hmm. and is misunderstanding his feelings towards her. Like there's that, you know, oh, you poor lost chicken. I'm going to help look after you and nurse you back to health. She sees him as a project, but like human aspects with it. Uh, The green screen has poor continuity here as as they're going in the river. They have moments where um, they pass a a boat, but, you know, and we see it from his perspective, the boat's passing. We cut straight back to her and we never see that boat again. The green screen is, is not great. It's not a green screen. Yeah, is it just really bad filters or really just bad continuity? It's just bad editing. Yeah, it it looks like it's a green just screen old as well. Editing. Yeah, but yeah. um, they 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 dock their boat. He's a real gentleman getting her out of the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets her out one side only to then have to cross the river, so he perhaps should have got her out the other side. And she does give him a kiss goodbye, and he is ecstatic. And I think that his costume. And I think the woods in this bit look like the animated sequence in Mary Poppins. Yeah. You know, he looks like Bert. Yeah, I love that. You know, like this is exactly like that is a live action bit of that. The children of the penguins, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the the, 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 the the rowers, when they come back out of their weird walk, they're walking like the penguin waiters do. Yeah, it's cute though. I like it. Um, okay, another song that I really like, but goes on way too long. This is another one. That I'm like, why didn't we do this the way that it's done in the show? Yeah. Because he starts it and all the common people that are in the town with him are singing it. And then we transition through because they cross over and all of the rich people who are going to be at the party cross on. Yeah. And they sing in the same way. You know the scene in My Fair Lady where there are ascots? Yeah. What a splendid, absolutely ripping... Like, that part. That's how they sing it. Yeah. So, like, they're really stilted and not excited at all, including Helen, who is also there. And he's still jumping around and being really excited and stuff. It just shows the difference between these people and him. Yeah. I mean, I bet it rains Sunday in Folkestone, in England. I like the... Every Sunday. It can rain Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but any day but Sunday. You know, like, the lyrics are nice. It's cute. It's a very cute song. Sunday's the day that it's gotta be fine. It can rain in Dover, Dorset, somewhere, anywhere but Folkestone. Yeah, it's cute. It can rain in Spain, America, oh, yeah. Germany, Scotland. Scotland. Anywhere but England. Yeah, you know, like, it's nice. It really is. Um, yes. The kids are really nice additions. Like, I like the way they dance with him. But again, it just goes, the instrumental dance break, as nice as it is at first, it's just too long. I love him splashing around in the 
puddles with all the kids. Yeah, though. he's singing in the rain, which is appropriate, going, you know, when you look at Chico. the rest of his CV. Yeah. Um, uh, right, one of my favourite bits in the whole film yeah. is the end of this song. Everyone leaves and just this one child looking up, sad in the rain, soaking, and he just turns back, whistles, and the kid's face lights up and he runs, jumps on his back, and really goes off. Cute. It is really, really cute. Yeah. Now we are off to Lady Botting's Boating Regatta Cup Race. Right, and this is back at the place where he was born. Can, it's the same sorry, bridge. can we be impressed that I managed to say that? Well done. Thank you. What did you say? <laughs> God. Lady Botting's Boating Regatta Cup Race. Well done. <laughs> That's really difficult. Yeah, we're back at the same place where we started because we have the same like church it bridge. It is exactly the same place, but, but it's, it's not meant to, meant to be. I know, right? It's just they made a... it slightly prettier and well lit. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of lazy location scouting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, that's like Lord of the Rings having Rohan and then using the upper other side of the hill for Gondor. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I've been here and it was slightly different before. Or having Rohan and then just actually it's Bag End, but without all the Hobbit houses. Yeah. Like... I'm pretty sure we've seen this slightly. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well. So, yeah, um, I, I like this sequence. He bumps into Anne for the first time. She says he looks like a stick of peppermint. Oh, it's all the rage. It is all the rage. He's got a stripy jacket on. It looks great. She reveals that she didn't answer his post because she didn't know how to reach him. And I think, okay, that's just an excuse. I don't care. It, you could have sent it to his friends. It would have been sent on as well, because yeah, if, like, if he's staying in hotels, the hotels would have had a forwarding address. Surely she is still talking to these people that she's met and made friends with as well. So, Or this is another place where I'm like, if Sid was actually her brother. But again, it would just make it worse if Sid was her, even worse if Sid was her brother, because she'd be like, oh, you're going to talk to him, pass the message on. She makes no attempt. Mm -hmm. She is, she's... It's that excuse. It's like you've not spoken to someone because you were angry at them, but you didn't want them to know. So you've ignored their texts and you're going to talk to them when you're ready. Who does that? No comment. <laughs> but, but you no, know, like I need, I, I am really bad at talking about when I'm annoyed, but like but that's, I'm not good at the whole, oh, if somebody texts me and I was annoyed with them, I would answer them. It doesn't make me feel any pity for her. And I feel like at this point, it is supposed to make you feel angry at Kips for moving on. Mm. I think, do you know what? You didn't make the effort. You, you just didn't write back because you didn't know how to reach him. You could have sent things. You'd have had a backlog of letters to read because he has still sent her postcards the whole time he's been gone. Mm. You know, he's managed to stay in contact. Why yeah. can't she? Uh, she uh, wants to know if she's still his girl and he never answers. Um, he may have half a sixpence, but he certainly has two girls. Yeah. I don't feel sorry for Anne. And maybe I'm supposed to here. I'd be very interested from the listeners who are familiar with this this film. Am I supposed to be on Anne's side here? Because I'm not. There's only one part where I'm really on Anne's side. Is it at this point or is it later on? No, it's later on. Cool. I mean, it will be in a minute. <laughs> but then, like, much later on is what I'm thinking about. I'm still not on her side in a minute, personally, but... We'll talk about that in a minute after the race. Because okay. Arthur is invited to race and it will be against his old friends and he is seen as a traitor because everyone sucks. Just like Chad. How dare you go and play for this team? Surely you're supposed to get us both in on this. Like, oh, they're so nasty. They replace him with this, this, like, what do they call him? Fat Tim or something. They don't call him fat. It's just 
It was twit, or that's what it was. Yeah. This twit. Yeah, because they're like... Which is a little bit of a twit, you know, when he prematurely starts the race. Yeah, which is great funny. character building for, like, this one scene we need to know who this character is. It is really funny, though. I really like the way the race is filmed. Yeah. I like that we get a bit of an interlude with all these kissing couples <laughs> for some reason. And one of the, the cyclists who is on uh, Artie's side going into the, the, the river for some reason I thought was funny. because he's trying to watch. Yeah. Well, he's shouting along. He's like, row, 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 your boat. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Whereas the girls are doing it and they're really competent mm-hmm. and it's like it's mocking the rich here which I thought was quite a funny little thing. But that's the thing is one of the things we see very clearly as we're going along this river is that the difference between the upper classes and the lower classes yeah. or the working classes rather. Well anything's lower than the upper classes. Right. But all of the working class people who are here because this is clearly like a bank holiday kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. They're all having a good time. Yeah, because this is like... And they're all off with their sweethearts having a day. Especially because they probably all work for these families that are there. And this is the one time they actually get to see each other. Right, and they don't need attending on while we're here because this place is providing butlers so we can all have the day off. Yeah. Fantastic. And all the rich people can feel really good about themselves for giving their maids the day off. (laughs) And they probably are getting paid because they have to be there and be there for something, but... But they're not actually having to do anything. And there's so many... If you watch Downton Abbey, you'll know exactly the kind of interpersonal things with this. Which Downton Abbey is was always really weird about how grateful all of the working class yeah. and lower class, because they're all servants, you know, were to be there. Which I'm sure is true because they, you know, they have a paying job and quite a good paying job. But you wouldn't be. I'd be grateful for the money, but not to the person. Yeah. You know, it's your job. It is your job. There's a moment where Kips messes up and they have to work harder, but the race is very back and forth. Oh, he hits a crab, yeah. Yeah. There is a great shot of Anne cheering, and it then pans down to see uh, Helen. And I thought it was a really, really beautiful shot. Yeah, Helen's on the weird little steamboat. Yeah, because it's her... I thought it was her dad that was the judge. No, it's not. It's just a friend of hers. Just a friend. I, I really like the way the tension builds through this this sequence, especially towards the end. We get a lot of fast, frantic cuts. We keep going to see the finish line. It's quick, 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 quick. You're feeling more and more tense. Who's going to win this? I think it's very, very good cinematography. Mm. And Artie wins. And as a result, because he had the winning stroke, he gets to go and claim the trophy. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, Whatever. His friends don't care. They're not staying around to revel in his glory, because why should they? Yeah. And then Anne rushes towards him, like really excited to celebrate. And Helen's mum steps forward and says, he's not just won the trophy of the regatta. The hand of my daughter. And you can pinpoint the exact moment her heart breaks. Yeah. Now, obviously, this isn't Arthur's... No, it really isn't. Because it's Mrs. Waltzing who sprung this on him. Yep. And he's just like, okay, because he's, you know, roast-tinted glasses all over this place. (laughs) She's like, but I'm your girl. He says, but we're engaged. Yeah, he is. I think Artie Kipps is like the perfect embodiment of head empty, no thoughts. Yeah. I think 
uh, it might be a controversial thing to say this, but at times with Tommy still really reminds me of the actor who plays Jay in The Inbetweeners, like the just kind of airheadness. Yeah. Like, not really realising what he's saying. He's obviously like, a lot I have no ni- idea what's happening right now. But he's a lot nicer a character, obviously, than Jay from The Inbetweeners. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's an adult. Yeah. But... He's a man-boy at best. He <laughs> yeah. is not an adult. He's a man-boy. But he... um, The way that he reacts to this is so bad and the way that Anne reacts is I think completely understandable I, I disagree she, we've just watched an episode of How I Met Your Mother that plays out exactly the same way as this which one? where Stella and Ted oh, don't right. know that they're broken up okay. but they are broken yes. up but they're not broken up so right. she hasn't spoken to him but also it's not like it's now you can't just get in touch if he's out of the country yeah. she could have sent letters there's no nothing to say that they would have ever got there yeah ignoring that she didn't right she is so happy to see him he has just tried to tell her yeah that they're broken he up. has but but he wasn't engaged yet yeah but so when she sees this she's like what yeah. <laughs> i will say this i think first of all it's not like he has got down on one knee no i'm not saying it's his fault yeah but I- she's completely justified in reacting this way i think she's justified but i feel no sympathy for her you know i do uh i i really don't because i I genuinely think she could have made more of an effort the way this film has presented the information is she's fallen off the groin she's heard and instantly believed all of his stories you know against him not listened to his side of it she says i'm not talking to you we never see them gain closure on the argument the last thing we see before he goes off is she said i'm not talking to you she has been like the bad guy in that situation there yeah he has tried to reach out to her and from his perspective has got nothing he has every right to think well she's not interested in me anymore he's even tried we didn't touch on this but he's tried to go to her house where she works wasn't allowed in because he is a gentleman going to speak to a, a chambermaid and that's not appropriate but he has made every effort. Mm. Where has, where has her effort been? So, I don't feel sorry for her, and maybe that's a fault in the storytelling here. If I'm supposed to, yeah. but I'm also very surprised that she did not get the sack after that outburst. Where the she the woman sh- she works for isn't there? Oh, word would have spread, considering how big the house she works for is, and like the events that happen there word would get back that that woman's chambermaid the The only people she insults are the waltzingans who are social climbers so the woman that Anne works for wouldn't be talking to them anyway do you not think people would comment on the woman that Anne works for being like oh she can't even control her chambermaids look at how poorly they behave that's such a reflection on her you know Parlourmaid's different. Whatever. Chambermaid is higher okay, socially. Well, but Parlourmaid still would be like, oh, well, they they behave so badly. God, she's got bad taste in her girls, hasn't she? She can't control them at all. Mm. Word would get back and it would drop that woman's status. Anyway, she throws the half a sixpence at him. Yeah. I really wish it had gone in the, the river and just you saw like a little plop of it. Um, and yeah, it rains. We get more pathetic fallacy, you know. And this would very much be the end of Act Two. We get the intermission. And we had bagels. Yeah. During our intermission treat. Yes, we did. And they were great. Yes. They, uh... Good bagel making. Thank you. They're now going to Anne's house, where she works. But not to see Anne. They're going for the social event of the season. 
the amount of land this family has. They have to cross a bridge go after going through the gates. Mm. Uh, they, they offer the advice to Arthur, try not to perspire. And he immediate perspiration. Oh, gentlemen, don't perspire. Yep. And he immediately like dabs at his forehead. And I like the bit where they go in and he says, oh, Helen, you're, what are you wearing? You'll catch your death in that. He doesn't oh. care about the fashion. And Hubert implies he's a prude. No. No, no, no. Hubert implies that all working class people are prudes. He says your kind are all prudes. But that's what I mean. Is It's not. He's not being a prude. He, bless him. He's so concerned oh, about no. Helen's well-being. It's not a concerned about her well-being thing. It is, is it? a. It's not a prudish thing. It's a. He's probably never seen a woman in that state of undress before. Yeah. Because if you think about, Anne is the only girl that's been like his girl, and the least amount of clothing we see her in is her bathing suit, yeah. where she's wearing almost more clothing. It just comes across very sweet, like, oh no, you'll catch your death in that. Yeah, that's it's cute. How I read it from a modern perspective, I guess. I like the way he's kind of wandering through the party. He tries fitting in with the Germans, but doesn't really fit in with anyone. He spies a maid who he thinks might be Anne, and you can see he's longing to be part of that world. Yeah, he says Anne, and this girl turns around and is like, did you need something, sir? And it's yeah. it's not Anne, but, but it also like it Anne. really looks like I Anne. actually said to you, as they were in their um, cart going along the bridge, I said, there is no way this film ends with him marrying Helen. He's marrying Anne. He There's... doesn't even like Helen. Yeah, it was... and... It is weird. So we obviously get more fish out of water, but amplified here because um, they're at dinner. He doesn't know how to eat these things. He's like, "How do I? How do I? Which 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 utensil? Which utensil do I use?" Oh my god! Helen's like, "Grab the furthest one from the plate." So he goes to grab hers because it is the furthest one from the plate. Uh, he's not allowed to use his knife for his poached egg and salmon, which they should have just called it that. It's like jellied salmon. Yeah, oh, it looks disgusting. Yeah. And um, he is uh, struggling and he's making a real scene. He's like, I'm hungry! I'm hungry! Oh no, it's because... Um, His scene got confusing. So he says that he can't eat it yeah. because he can't cut it with his fork. He's used to cutting with, with a knife. his knife. Yeah. And Helen says, Helen gets annoyed with, annoyed with him and says, look, just if, don't eat it if you're not hungry. Yeah. And he says, but I am hungry. And then he shouts. Yeah. I'm hungry. And then everyone hears him. We get the hush. Yeah, and then the hostess has to says, like, okay, maybe we should serve the next course. Yeah. But... And then he tries to stick the whole thing in his mouth and it doesn't work. He spills it on his shirt, and then Anne's starting to hand out. Yeah. And she drops the tray. They have a weird thing where they're talking about his surname and pronunciation. I didn't get it. Oh, uh yeah, so his surname is a common English spelling. Yes. K-I-P-P-S. Yeah. And they're just all like back and forth about how do you spell it? Is it Kipes? And no, so they say, who is it? I think it's the hostess says to Helen, oh, I think it's very good that you've searched back through his lineage and found the traditional European spelling because that's very good. Like it makes you look good if you've got a traditional European spelling yeah. in your name, which is C-U-E-P-S. And they're just arguing on how you pronounce it. Coops. No, they they're all saying it's Kips, and he says it like four different ways until Helen's mum says, "No, it's Kips," and he's like, "I know it's Kips. You spell it Kips." 
See, I'm definitely Arthur in this situation. I have no idea what's going on. That's the point, though. Right, it's it's very all really well done. disorienting. It's, yeah, very, very well done. And then Anne sees him, and she drops a whole tray of champagne and all over the place. breaks the things, and it's all coming out of her wages, and, you know, whatever. Oh, like, and she isn't allowed out on her two next half... Three next half days, and then Helen's mum is like, oh, I think you're being much too lenient. Yeah, and at this point... And again, Arthur being great, he stands up, he's like, I'll pay her fine, you need to learn to treat your staff better. Yeah. Um, and he walks out, and he, he calls the wedding off, which, great. And he, he he does very much shout at Helen's mum in a kind of like, oh, that's quite intimidating way. And well, he's, he says if she continues being rude that he'll thrash her. Which I didn't like, especially because the the facial expression we have on Helen's mum is quite vulnerable. It's a weird well, choice. Well, I suppose a man's never spoken to her like that. I know, but it's not nice to see someone scared of our main character who we're supposed to be. Mm. It's not like, you know, Judd is dead levels of all his characters. It's just a weird choice at this point. I love that he's defended Anne, but it, again, comes very quickly. Yeah. And, and especially because his family has always been so nice to him, it doesn't make sense as to why he'd be so quick to anger. Like, how long has passed, really? Because he's a lot more educated now at this point. Like, he's, he's, he knows Romeo and Juliet. He knows uh, the, the Tudor lineages, like, which we'll, we'll get, obviously, through flashbang, what a, what a picture. Yeah. But they've been educating. So how long has he been there? And they've clearly been... been a while. But it, we, time has passed without us seeing it. Mm. So... Because it has, and because we don't have this weird subplot where they, they're clearly using him. Yeah. This feels very out of left field for him. And does damage a little bit of his character integrity. Because mm. it's like, this is not the Arthur Kipps that we're used to. This would be a really triumphant moment if we knew what their plan was. Mm-hmm. You're like, yes, go for it, Artie, my boy. Here you're just like, well, I knew it was going to happen eventually. This just happened very quickly. Anne wants nothing to do with him. He says he's going to kick the door down and does. And he says they should get married. She's like, oh, but but you're engaged. She says, no, I'm not. And I, I want to marry you. So let's go do it now. And uh, Anne says, you haven't treated me very proper. And I thought, well, nor you here, man, really, have you? You've, mm-hmm. you've not really treated him with respect. So no, none. There's no good guy here. No. And I like, well, I tell you what, this is the best proposal ever. I wish I'd seen this film before I proposed to you because I would have used his words because they're so romantic. Mm. I'm desperate. Yep. I mean, lost for words, but that's not a reason to get married, Artie, is it really? I do love this one bit where... Um, oh, what does he say to her? She's like, what, you want to get engaged? He's like, no, I've been engaged. I want to get married. Yeah. Because <laughs> apparently engagement's boring. <laughs> We're a month in. Are you that bored already? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, they hug and all is well, and suddenly they're married. And we go into flashbang, wallop, wallop, what a picture, what a picture, what a photograph. I really love the analogy he comes up with here of Henry VIII chronicling his and Amberlene's love affair with photos and the, the last photo is at her execution some of the lyrics to this song are so funny right they are so good so it, there's 
but the full extended stage version because as long as this song is with all the dance breaks they've cut a bunch of the verses oh, but this is it. i'd rather they had the verses because the dance break just gets boring no right so one of the things is uh, when adam and eve in their birthday suit decided to get wed as adam was about to taste the fruit the man with the camera said hold it yeah which is hilarious and while they're singing that they're covering each other you know the way they did in Frozen in yeah. Hugo, but they're like every time nice. they move, they have to cover each other. Yeah. And then we have. You Romeo read it in Julia, a folio. Seen it in a Shakespeare play. Henry the Eighth and Anne Boleyn, Napoleon and Josephine. So they've only cut one verse, but I don't understand why they would. Why they did that? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a it's a fun song. Again, the dance break just goes on way too long for my liking. I do like that every time they sing, clap hat. And everyone goes clap, 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 stomp your feet. <laughs> yeah, stomp, stomp, stomp. Yeah. I, again, though, the, the thing is, as much as I will will hate on the well, hate isn't the right word, but as much as I'm complaining about the dance breaks on the lengths, the choreography is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like Julian, then again, fantastic job. It just takes you out there. You're just like, come on, speed it up. It's yeah. like I'm double parked on the yellow, and I gotta go. I just wanted to pop in to toast the happy couple. Let me go, mm-hmm. please. Um, so yeah, Artie is buying land to build a brand new house. Now, this is the other thing I think is a very weird stylistic choice. We see this world so much through Artie's gaze, and now we see it through Anne's gaze for one moment as we see this weird house. And again, why is this motif never used up until this point? I know, it's just a weird way to like make a, it clear that they have very different ideas. But then we learn that in the next scene anyway, yeah. so it didn't really need to happen. It, I think it's pretty funny. It is funny, but again, why could we not have had that as a motif more throughout the play, where you have like this hand-drawn house, and then you see his hand-drawn one. It, it, again, it's like, oh, we'll try it. They've clearly shot this scene early on, and then realised, oh, we don't really like it, let's not do it anymore. Mm. You know? I just yeah, did not like it. Uh I mean, I, it is a very nice way of showing that they have very different tastes, that he's going to have a big 11-bed house, she just wants a small house. It's weird, though, because it doesn't feel like arty. And at this point, I'm starting to dislike him a little bit more because he's got his priorities wrong out of nowhere. Yeah. He is not himself. Why is he gone from two scenes ago not knowing how to use a fork and hating this environment to suddenly going, well, I want 11 bedrooms? It doesn't fit his character. And you've explained why brilliantly, because this was not supposed to be for him and Anne. Yeah. So is this something that's been put into his head, first of all, by Hubert and then Helen? Yeah. This scene does not work. Mm. And now I know why it doesn't work. And it makes me dislike the whole sequence even more um, because they just have a big argument I like the idea that Anne has sent their working girl home because she can do it better. Mm-hmm. Um, the honeymoon period is well and truly over. They've been married, what, a day, two days? You know, like, and they're already arguing because he wants this extravagant life. They're supposed to have callers and she's supposed to be, you know, a warm and welcome host. He doesn't know why, just because it's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, well, she even says to him, you're shouting at me. Oh, I'll tell you what. The one bit, there's one bit I feel sorry for Anne. He says, I've improved, why can't you? Yeah. He got that wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's the one bit I'm like, oh, Anne does not deserve that. As much as I don't like her, that's just nasty. 
Troy Bolton would never say anything like that. <laughs> Troy Bolton would never. I'm going to make you a t-shirt that says Troy Bolton would never. Oh, we should have it. We, we should do that. We should make that as some merchandise. I feel like Disney would sue us. I don't know. We can go. We can get away with it somehow, I'm sure. You can sell wildcat themed t-shirts on Etsy. I'm sure. Like, that's got to be a way. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Any ideas for Troy Bolton Love Fest merch? You know, tweet us. And let us know. I know what I am. It's hard to rate this song. It's not like with My Fair Lady where you didn't tell me until after that there was a different singer for some of the numbers. Mm. This one, uh, A, I knew, and B, it's very obvious. So it's hard to rate it because, like, she's not singing it. Yeah. And the performance doesn't work because it's it is quite noticeable. She's very talented. Like yes. I like Anne's portrayal. I think, you know, that act is fantastic. But Yeah, one of the things I'm going to uh play for you when we're done recording is this song from the twenty sixteen Broadway revival. Because yeah. there's a song that starts before this that has just the nicest bit of music to it. This is where she sings to him, you never get anything right. Yeah. And is saying to him, like, I know who I am, I know what my place is, but you're pretending to be somebody that you're not, so don't pretend with me now yeah. that you're still this high and mighty guy when you're with me. Yeah. Because that's not who I'm marrying. I mean, the thing is, I don't really like the song anyway, because I don't care for Anne as a character. She's not had enough to build her up to this point where I care mm. that she's in this... You know, oh, maybe I made the wrong choice. And this Frankenstein's monster mismatch of, you know, one person performing and another person singing just doesn't do it any any good anyway. Yeah. There's not enough about Anne to make me care that she has a song. And I know we're coming up to the end. and I'm a little bit tired anyway. You know, the dance breaks have taken their toll. <laughs> you know, this song just doesn't do it for me. Yeah. He has gone to speak to his financial advisor and there's police presence outside. And why, after... It speaks volumes about his naivety. Why, at this point, is his ex fiance's brother still his financial advisor? <laughs> anyway, it makes sense, you told me. I know, like... they It's all in the wrong order. It is. Uh, Helen's there, she's got bad news and she is very, very drunk. Because uh, Hubert has been stealing Artie's money. He is broke and he's got nothing. Yep. And she's going on about how, but what about us? I'll have to get a job. And he's like, uh, hold on a second. We're not talking well, about highly you. Highly educated. You have a bachelor's degree. Like, what is yeah. your problem? You're not the victim here. Yeah. Like, I'm the victim here. I have done nothing to hurt anyone. I have done nothing wrong. I have no skills. And I've now got to figure out my life. Like, no sympathy for you. Sorry. Move on. And I, again, like, I again, I wonder if the film is supposed to make me dislike him for the way he treats Helen here. Mm. I didn't care. I, I was, I, I did feel wronged for him. I was like, oh God, that sucks. You know, this poor guy, just, money yeah. doesn't buy happiness. Money doesn't make your life better, clearly. Like, this is a cautionary tale. But still, it just sucks for him because everyone has abandoned him every way like he's not gonna be even when he goes out like his friends are kind of there mocking oh you heard the news Mm -hmm. it's not like they're there to say like well you can come back and we'll look after you they're just like there to revel in his demise you know um so yeah he goes to the fair he's stirred by nostalgia so he goes to the site of their new house 
Um, I love the bit where he we get like an echo of to entertain, to entertain, to entertain. Yes, and then we get the voice of the is footman. Yeah. I don't know whose job that is in high society. The guy that's introducing everyone at the party, except instead of introducing the way that he was at the previous party, yeah. he's introducing Chitolo and Laura and I all of his friends. I thought at this point it was going to cut like he's like, oh, I'm going to turn this into a theatre to help my friends. Because Chitolo has been left. We've not heard from him since we, we saw him. Like, well, you know, to he's confirm the 1250 a year, you know. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, we're to bring him up again. Maybe he's going to build a theatre here and... You know, he's going to keep his money. Yeah. Because there's been no mention of the fact that Arthur has commissioned a play from them as well. Mm-hmm. So um, he imagines what could have been. And it, this is where we feel like we have that Rodgers and Hammerstein style, like dance interlude, you yeah. know, with the Vaseline lens and the waltzing. I like the um, scenery for this one. It's still like very much the old house with a um, chandelier just out of nowhere. Yep. And um, them just dancing. I like that. I think it's really nice. It's not like in a house. Mm-hmm. And they're just dancing around the scaffolding. He has a really nice entrance as they were like watching him come down. And it is a fun sequence, but like arguably is the final number of this film. Yeah. It's weird. It's like Fixer Upper being the last song we hear in, you know, Frozen the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but even in his fantasy, Anne doesn't, like, dress appropriately. And even in his fantasy, like, Anne is kind of, like, talking him down. Yeah. Not even talking him down, just telling him that he's an idiot. Yeah, she's ultimately here to talk sense into him. And, like, in his mind, it's weird that she's this nagging shrew. Like, mm-hmm. great female representation in Half a Sixpence, clearly. But, you know, she is there to talk him down. And he does talk sense because it is his Anne. It's not his fictionalised version of Anne that talks sense to him, but... It, he really doesn't have a positive view of her, does he? Nope. And uh, yeah, the shots of laughter at everyone, like when the when the party turns quite sour, are, are quite intimidating. You just turn and it's very like quick shots of people laughing and then they run away and like fade out. Like mm-hmm. the memories are gone. He comes back to reality and real Anne shows up to comfort him because, you know, uh, she's heard because, of course, all the friends have been gossiping. But again, it makes it even more it makes it even worse because she's still stayed in contact. So she had so many opportunities to get back in contact with him earlier on. Mm. And she she's she's trying to comfort him. She says that love is all that matters. You know, like as long as they've got love, that's fine. It's um like Chicago. All he cares about is love. Yes. And then they sing Two lines of half a sixpence. Well, so we have a little bit. The, the theatre chaps are back. They've got oh, money yeah. for Kips. Chitolo tells Kips that he's now going to get... Uh, a nice, healthy reimbursement on his investment because the yes. show's been successful. Yeah, so he's getting his half back, basically, but he'll get it for as long as the show runs. Which is like two years yeah. at minimum, apparently. Mm-hmm. So it's 200 to start with which is nice, a nice mm-hmm. amount. And so Anne says to him, yeah. Anne says to him that they can get a nice little house with no back stairs yeah. and be comfortable together. And he says, with 11 bedrooms? As, she is, looks mad. But I like it. It's a nice callback to the joke. And then they give it and... Um, he says, 
Well, you'd better give it to me then. Because she's got no pockets. You're a girl, you've got no pockets. Which I thought was cute. Um, So they're going to live responsibly. It's a nice compromise. And yes, we get the half a sixpence reprise, which is a nice way to close, but doesn't really count as a song. Yeah. And then over the credits, Flashbang World. Yeah. Cool. And Um, that is half a sixpence. Yes, indeed. I think it's called half a sixpence because it does end when there is only half a sixpence. Yeah, we there there is no sixpence, and she threw it at him. Uh, what six songs ago? Yeah, and it never comes back. So that's why it's called half a sixpence. There's nothing left. Yep. Um, what's your best song in half a sixpence? Either I love "She's Too Far Above Me." I yeah. think it's a really nice song. But I don't think it's very fun. So it probably Money to Burn or Flashbang Wallop. Yeah. I, I, I think Flashbang Wallop. Money to Burn is good. Mm-hmm. But I really did like Flashbang Wallop. My skip song, like I said, is Long Ago and Proper Gentleman. I agree with you on Long Ago. I like Proper Gentleman. And when I play you the stage musical version, you're going to like it. But that's it fine. But I'm going by this version. I know. You know, same way when we did Phantom. Actually, a song I liked in Phantom Live was not a song I liked in Phantom the Film and you know I don't remember that far back you know for me those two songs were just like mm. yeah but if I had to go with a, a kind of a proper song because those ones don't really count they're like half the thing is I don't want to add any of the songs from this version onto the playlist because of all the dance breaks and dance interludes because I feel like it's going to go very very long if I did no but the versions that are on the revival soundtrack would be better yeah are really streamlined yeah so which good nice. I would also put I know I am just because I don't care enough about Anne's character mm. which character is your MVP Tommy Steele yeah it's Kips 100% Tommy Steele is fantastic yeah and like my mum said, when we saw, oh, we talked to my mum about this the other day, but when we saw the stage musical, Charlie Stemp, who was playing Artie, doesn't leave the stage. Yeah. He's on it for the whole show, except for like one song. Yeah. So like 100% MVP has to go to Kips because it's such yeah. a demanding role. I'm pretty certain that I also said like my winner for, <laughs> my winner for All Star Musical should have been uh, Bradley Walsh's son, who was we were so angry Arthur about Kips. that. I remember um, that was great. That performance. I rewatched that before we started watching this version, and it was really good. It is really good. I liked that. <laughs> wow, he's really good. I would want to play Kips, but yeah. then I think it's the same as Troy Bolton. He's the only character that is interesting, likable. That mm. you know, and everyone else is so inconsequential. I would like to play Anne, but not in this version. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean... And I'd like to play Helen, where she's kind of a villain in yeah. the stage musical, and that's great, but not in this version. Yeah. I'll film it, it's fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll film it. So, are you on Instagram? 100% of people said yes to this one. Seriously? Seriously, cool. nobody voted no. Um, and we did get more than one vote, before you think, like, there's one vote, you know. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> 100% of people voted yes on this one, but we did hear from... Uh, my mom podcast who said another one that my wife loves and introduced me to she and her sister have matching ish necklaces that have one half of a sixpence on we often sing flashbang wallop obviously the tommy seal original which can sometimes be hard to find on music streaming services on car journeys too enjoy it mm-hmm. over on twitter 12% said met, it's just okay. And 12% say no flashbang away. 76 of people said yes, what a picture. 
Becky at MT Lives in Me said it's my favourite. That's nice. I'm. It's really interesting to me because obviously the 2016 revival was the UK one. The last time it was on Broadway was a really long time ago. Mm. Like 65, did I say? Yeah. And so people have to have seen the film. And it's a good film. It's a really enjoyable movie. But the fact that it's remained people's favourites, yeah. I think, is great. Yes. And somebody we know from our personal life uh, at H. Claring Ball said... This musical has so many happy memories for me. Some of my closest friendships were formed doing this show. Love it. That's cute. Um, I gave this one three stars. Mm-hmm. And that's that's without changing anything. It does feel like there's there's just something missing, which is weird to say in like a 145 minute long film. Yeah. You know, um, I feel like if we ever are lucky enough to see the stage version of this Mm. this film will go down and the stage show will be better received like you were saying you you prefer the stage show yeah most definitely so i think that's very very interesting i'm tempted to say like two and a half stars based on like oh i'm really really annoyed that this didn't happen this didn't happen but don't think that's fair yeah. I've got to judge it based on like my gut reaction. I don't always do. Sometimes I'm, I improve. There's no consistency. But I think I'm going to stick with three stars. I enjoyed it. I think it's it's long at times when it doesn't need to be. You could easily cut like 15 minutes. Yeah, just from dance breaks. Just from dance breaks, you know. And we love all the dancing. Like Gillian Lynn's choreography is fantastic. It is. But, but again, it's I, not even her fault. There's just a lot of time that they yeah. fill out with it. And some things just happen really slowly. But in the same way as well, I I feel like if you were in the theatre watching those dance breaks, it wouldn't matter as much because you'd be absorbed watching real people do this. Mm-hmm. There's always an element of like, oh, well, there's a there's a distance because there's a TV screen in front of me. So Yeah, and if you're not somebody who is really into dance, you're not taking in like the technicality of what they're doing. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah, but it, it's certainly not not a film that like engages me fully and immerses me fully in the world. Yeah. Next week, what are we watching? Next week, we are jumping back to the wonderful world of Star Kids. Yes! To watch The Little Mermaid. No, I'm just kidding. We are watching Starship. Which I believe is like a parody of Starship Troopers and the Little Mermaid. I have not seen Starship Troopers. So I've I not seen Starship that. Troopers, but I feel like it's like, I don't know, maybe I could be completely wrong. Yes, no. Uh, You're going to have a lot of references to the Little Mermaid with this one. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the right week to be doing that. Um, you know, it's going to be coming out on the 20th of September. And. You know, it's been a while since we've done Star Kids. It has. It's been a while since we watched Twisted. Yeah. And we are going to also have our episode with Georgia of the Best Film Ever podcast. Mm-hmm. The next episode in our uh, spin-off It's Your Favourite Musical podcast launching that week. Usually we launch them on the last Friday of the month, but I think this week we might make an exception and launch it on the 21st of September. 
Yes. And I'm sure some of you in the know will, will understand why. Mm-hmm. If you're not in the know, you will understand why by the end of that episode. But it feels like the right time to kind of go back to Starkid and do maybe that kind of B-movie horror style musical. Yes. And that's all I shall say on that. And tweet me if you can think you you know what I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, I'm really excited as well because... On the 24th of September, we will be seeing Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which will be fantastic. I'm so excited. With an episode to launch on the 4th of October. And on the 1st of October, we will be seeing School of Rock, formerly my favourite musical. Maybe it will win it back (laughs) from Frozen, but I'm, you know, sure I'm just going to enjoy the ride. And an episode on School of Rock will be coming on the 11th of October. Yeah, but that will be a bit of a turnaround episode because this is one that I haven't seen. Yes, so it will be one where I introduce my fiancé to musicals she should have seen by now. Does that mean I have to sing in the interval? Ooh, well, I mean, I can't play ukulele, so I <laughs> I can guess. do both. I can multitask. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Again, like, let us know your thoughts. Would you like to hear Drew's dulcet tones for an episode? <laughs> no. You can get involved in the conversation as always over on Twitter and Instagram at It's A Musical Pod and let us know uh, is there anything about Half a Sixpence that you'd like to address did I really get this one wrong or is this one that you maybe agree with what I've said is Drew right that the stage show often like the book is better than the film mm-hmm. get involved let us know your thoughts and let us know your thoughts on upcoming episodes that we are going to be doing yeah very very exciting especially as we are going back into the spooky wookie wookie season your favorite time of the year and as always make sure you're subscribed on a multitude of good podcasting platforms so you know when we launch something exciting shiny and new for you to consume we are over on apple podcasts on spotify on google podcasts we are on amazon music uh, under the podcast section of the library we are on podbean which is our og host we love them we are on stitcher and you can also find us over on good pods mm-hmm. we've charted quite a few times in the indie art section which is always very exciting to see very exciting and if you like what we do make our day head on over to apple podcasts head on over to podchaser.com why not leave us a review and share us with a friend and help our podcast grow but until next week where we will see you same bat place same bat channel have a magical musical monday see you next week